imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with your host, Kalin Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. Very proud to uh, welcome very special guests today. Uh, old friend, old friend in rock, and just old friend in general, I guess. Uh, Mr. Patrick Tate Fleming. We're just going to get right to it here. Uh, Gloom oh. Balloon, Poison Control Center, um, so many awesome things. The the pride of Iowa, I would say. Well, I don't know about that, but I'm excited to be here. I know it's a, <laughs> it's a little bit of a, uh, you went down on the totem pole from a member of Iggy and the Stooges to me, so. <laughs> but I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, I, I really appreciate having you on, man. You're, you're, you're one of those guys that uh, Gloom Balloon has been going on for um, – yeah, seven, eight years now. Like it's been, it's been a little yeah. while, right? You got quite the quite the discography you built up, and you got you got a new record. Yes, new record comes out a week from tomorrow, and you got a new record, so I'm excited to listen to that tomorrow. Yeah, so the whole releasing a record in a pandemic. That's um, what are your feelings and thoughts about that? Uh, well, I was. It was crazy because I have like 20 some people who play on my record and yeah, I it's finished. Big. It's Baroque. It. It's big, big, big I, and Baroque. Not Baroque, but Baroque. Yeah, I'll take Baroque. Uh, I, I, and it made me broke. So it worked. <laughs> uh, go big and go broke has always been my motto. Uh, but no, I, I finished it right when kind of everything was getting shut down. So uh, I was like the last mastering session the like last you know like in-person mastering session for Doug Van Sloan who mastered it and then everything kind of shut down so uh, I it was the worst time to finish a record because I I lost my job I finished my record I really had literally had nothing to do yeah so uh, but just be a parent which was actually taking up a lot of time because my kid wasn't going to school anymore right uh, right which is which is suddenly even more time consuming than it ever would have been before based on you know events yeah it feels like i i have nothing that i uh need to be doing but i'm way more busier now than i ever have been before so and i never leave my house so i don't know what's going on but no actually releasing a record is is weird because you know like you and i are like people who want to get up on stage and play and, uh, yeah there's something missing right now isn't there <laughs> so there's like a part of our uh you know brain and and veins that need to be popped out of our head screaming into a microphone and getting our teeth all chipped up by sm58s and so we're missing that yeah it's a it's it's weird 
but it's also, I guess, almost comforting in a way that everyone's just going through the same crap. Like it isn't like you know you're just quietly suffering on your own. It's yeah, you, you could be true. James Williamson to the Stooges, and like your record still, you know, was gonna be like, wait, what's going? Okay, so can we get this master now? Can we <laughs> like what's going on? Granted, probably less with yeah. cash flow problems, one would imagine, but you know. I think I think it is it is I think more people are listening to music than ever before. They're just not getting to experience it live, which of course is a magical thing. Uh, but you know, so I'm trying to do all these weird things to try to promote. I'm trying to make a music video for every song on the record, and you know, all that kind of stuff, and and really just try to promote it in any way possible. Just because the normal thing to do for me, I'm like old school, is just like go oh, all right, play some shows, just go on tour, yeah, book a tour and try <laughs> sell some records. I guess. <laughs> Still the most tried and true method, but not something that's really something that can be done right now. So, but but yeah. I think you hit on an important point that people are people that maybe have found themselves thinking that they did not have time to check out new music, you know, are now in a situation where, oh, you've got some time now. And it's, yeah. it's so worth, worth possible maybe they'll listen maybe. to possible. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll listen to a full album now instead of just a, uh... Popping, popping from song to song. So. Yeah, a distracted listen to like one song, you know, halfway through. <laughs> I had a I had a friend who's got like an amazing record collection, and the new Malkmus, Stephen Malkmus record came out. The guy from Pavement, and and he he had texted me. I was like, How, how'd you like that record? And he's like, Oh, I didn't like it. And I was like, Oh, really? I think it's great. And he's just like, I didn't get through any of the songs. And I was just like, What? You didn't even listen to it? And I'm like, Come on, man. And you're like a guy who buys records. You're the type of guy who wants to sit down and listen to something. But so yeah, it's almost like uh, where, where's the hope if you're you know if that's if that's going to be the reaction. You know, yeah, you have a problem, maybe an idea in your mind of like the constant listener, just like constant reader or whatever. Trust me, I gave him a lot of shit about it. So <laughs> when, he, when he tweeted about the record, how he didn't think it was as good as this one and this one and this one, I was like, uh, have no fear, Matador Records. Uh, and Stephen Malkmus, he didn't listen to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, the hot take industrial complex is ill-prepared. Yes, yes. But, I mean, that said, I mean, you're, you're, you're a guy that, uh, no matter what's been going on in your, in your life, uh, you know, human, regular human life and creative life, you, you've kept moving forward. You've, you've kept doing new Gloom Balloon stuff. You have all the other things. You know, you're incredible, um... I mean, should I say partnership with Christopher the Conquered? I mean, it, it's it's sort of like a symbiotic sort of shared brain thing almost. Yeah, yeah. Christopher the Conquered's also putting out a record a week from tomorrow, and we are both on the same record label, and I guess have been for the last all of our releases because we were on Maximum Ames records together. But he, uh, you know, his last record did really well because a a, a, a certain musician uh, tweeted about it, and uh, and. Then it blew up on Reddit right. uh, as Chris wrote about it. And uh, I guess I can say who the certain musician is. It's just like, you know, it seems kind of toxic now. But uh, so uh, Chris was playing a show in Iowa City and he was playing a show with Natalie Prass, who was making a record with Ryan Adams. And, and Chris gave her an advanced copy of, of I'm Giving Up on Rock and Roll, which I produced when we recorded at Arden Studios in Memphis. It was a great experience. The album's really great if you haven't heard it. Uh, and uh, he gave an advanced copy to her and she gave it to Ryan Adams because she thought he'd like it. And he put it on his Instagram and Twitter with just like the photo of the album. And it just said something like, holy shit, this is awesome. 
<laughs> yeah, it's kind of the kind of thing that like you you when you throw out these messages in bottles out to sea, you're, you're like, ah, oh, maybe someone will you know find it and yeah, be really you never excited about it. Chris probably was hoping that Natalie Prass would listen to the first 10 seconds in the van and like, oh, that was pretty good. Let's stop it. Let's stop at gas station and get a, you know, a corn dog before we fall asleep on somebody's floor. Uh, But uh, no, but he, he must've dug it. And then, so Chris being Chris, you know, he was kind of running his own record label. So he was just like, well, shit, I better put some of this stuff online. And he's like pre-sold like 600 albums just because of that tweet. And so, so he, and also Chris being Chris uh, got on Reddit and being like, hey, if somebody famous tweets about your album, it can actually have like a bump. And so then like Billboard magazine wrote about it and it was like all, all this like Ryan Adams bump. So with that also probably you can have the Ryan Adams burn in fire. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say that, that, that uh, at, at the time was was definitely just a bump. And uh, yeah, yeah, maybe had a, a mixed result situation um, uh, coming at you later. Don't worry, you got the protonic yeah. reversal bump coming, so well, luckily, you should be good. Luckily, yeah, luckily for Chris, I mean, I think he tried desperately. Uh, he even has a song about it on his new record uh, that's called Pick Up. The song is called Pick Up the Telephone about trying to like, hey, I should like try to contact Ryan Adams yeah. and, you know. Or do some shows or, you know. Do maybe we'll, yeah. yeah, maybe I could open a show or like go see his studio and record a song or something, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, you know. Um just because it's weird that somebody who's the, was that famous was, and it was like right during the time when he had like re-recorded that Taylor Swift album. So he was just like King shit and the golden boy for yeah, like an hour. Yeah. Ha- having like a pretty big, uh, pop culture resonance maybe is the yes. way to put it. Yes. And so, um, but yeah, uh, so Chris had like an incredible little like spike in, in madness. And then, you know, like, things happen like you get a manager and you play showcases in LA and New York and and luckily because of that little spike in the madness he met John Young from Grand Phony Records and and you know John's been incredible and you know he's just like really supported Chris and he wanted to work with him and so he's like hey I'd love to like be a part of this I have a record label that has some really cool people on it he's got like Van Dyke Park or he's released some Van Dyke Park stuff Mike Viola uh, the guy who sang that thing you do for the movie. Oh, right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it was in a band called the candy butcher. He's, but he, he also did songs for like that Dewey Cox movie and stuff like that. Uh, so he's on that label and some other bands. And so like Chris was like, yeah, yeah. And then John Young gave him some money to make an album, which, you know, was like crazy unheard of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Apparently that still happens. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> who knew? I, I, I think John didn't know. I think John didn't know that that stopped happening. So, uh, but now he, maybe now he's aware because uh, I came to him then I was like hey I just recorded this album and I paid for it all myself you want to put mine out too <laughs> and he's like yeah let's do this thing so but it's great because like we've be uh, John uh, you know since Chris and I have been putting out records forever uh, with multiple bands John is kind of like uh, picked our brains and we picked his brains and it's just been kind of like a really fun experience in this quarantine uh, getting to know him more and like trying to be like, how, how do we sell these records in this time? You yeah. Know? So well, pretty- and that's, that's the question, right? I don't think anybody really has an, has an answer to it and there isn't necessarily right or correct path necessarily. It's just sort of everyone's kind of, you know, rolling in front of the listening audience. I'm, I'm rolling the dice. I'm making the motion of rolling the dice here, which is, the, it's a roll yeah. of the dice. 
we're, we're all floating in a in an endless vast sea uh, sitting on a bunch of records and cds that hopefully somebody will rescue from us um you know i think it's it's you know we've both been making music for so long it's kind of in our blood that we don't want to stop even yeah. if the world is kind of drastically stopped and i think the world needs music right now more than ever you know and, and i think that harkens back to the earlier the earlier thing we we're talking about that you know, during this quarantine and during this pandemic, it's there's been a lot of people that have kind of gone searching almost, like searching for uh, new things to kind of just help them get through. You know, yeah, and, and just to distract themselves from the political <laughs> political madness that our uh, country is in. You know, I think you know, like when we met, of uh, you the, know, the flaming, was... shrieking, screaming skull that's like flying around the room all the time, always a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we met, I think like you, uh, you gave us a copy of a political comp or something, you know, that was shitting on George Bush. Oh, is that so, the Rove comp, the Carl Rove? Wow. That's, that's yeah, adorable. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that adorable yeah. now? Oh, how sweet. It is. I know. <laughs> and, and you know what? That seems like a fucking 11th shade of heaven compared to this. <laughs> yeah, man. It's It's like... So if we need if we need rock and roll to save the world, then my God, you know, like we need to we need people to be coming out of the woodworks on their four tracks during this time. And but but it's almost like so that with that specific since you since you mentioned it, Carl Rove, Courage and Consequence was the name of it. And the reason why is because that was still when you could culture jam things, which is to say that uh, hijack the results for when people look for the name for that guy's book, they would find this compilation of all, uh, a bunch of songs about how much he sucks. And Carl Rove being a guy that likes operating with, in the with a great cover, with a great cover by, by uh, Danny Hellman, the, the famous Danny Hellman. And the idea was that this is a guy that that uh, his power comes from operating the shadows, so making him like. The focus of this thing was, you know, first of all, counterintuitive for him and not something that he was especially comfortable with. But that that was the idea behind it. The problem is you can't do that with Donald Trump. Like, no, he, he, he revels in being the focus of, of the attention. He, he, like, moves his entire life about being the focus of attention. So it's like you can't use that same modus operandi, I don't think, personally. I, I, don't, I don't think it hits the same way. No. And, and, it's, and you could write – you could – you know, we could all write the greatest songs we've ever written about him and, and about the crazy ass shit he does. And then tomorrow he'll do something fucking crazy. And your song, people have forgot the crazy shit that you wrote about yeah, that yeah. happened 20 years earlier. Exactly. Everything just moves like so much more fast now that it, it and it's just, there's, it's just, just in the same way that uh, honest to goodness satire of these modern times are very, are very different. I think any kind of musical uh, reflection on the times is also difficult, unless you just kind of go more broad based and uh, kind of go more towards like feelings and more abstract things, which I mean, that said, like I was, I was listening to the, one of the songs, the, the single earlier, it's pretty joyful music, you know, for non joyful times. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, I think the, my uh, world has gotten flipped upside down in the past couple of years. And uh, I, I feel like there's a little bit of hope in the record, even though a lot of the songs are, are sad or, you know, uh, about a guy in his midlife trying to figure out like, like <laughs> figure out what path he was on and which path he maybe shouldn't be on or, you know, yeah. that kind of, 
but I mean, that's, I think that's the, you know, like we're, like I was saying, you know, like we're both just rock and roll heads. So yeah, to me, it's born so, into so, it almost, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I wanted to make a record that was like, had lots of little rock and roll references and, you know, like how rock and roll can fuck up relationships and how I, I speak through rock and roll. And like, so I, there's lots of little, you know, hopefully there's enough layers on it that if people listen multiple times and they're rock and roll heads like us, they'll be like, Oh, he's referencing that there and that there and that there. So like, so that was my goal is for like a rock and roll head to be like, Oh, I see. I see what he's going, that kind of thing. Right. It's, it's your, in this case, your constant listener that you would, might have in mind would be someone that would be uh, willing to kind of dig a little deeper and like, and find these little, uh, not Easter eggs necessarily, but little things that they can pick up on and kind of get, get something out of beyond just the, yeah, that's cool, you know, right on. Yeah. <laughs> I think most people, like, you know, probably most people who will hear this record, you know, maybe have no clue who, like, Kate Bush is. So yeah. in the third song on the record, uh, it talks about uh, somebody having lips like Kate Bush when she was young. And then it, then it goes on to talking about, uh, all this fair and love and war, all Liz fair, Liz <laughs> right, fair. <yeah. laughs> love and war when you fucking run. But anyway, and then it says, so what, which is a Miles Davis song. And then, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kate Bush is on uh, the album. So by, uh, Peter Gabriel and, so then the next lyric is like, don't give up, which is the lyric she sings on So by Peter Gabriel. And so it like has all these different layers. So what I'm trying to do is like just pretty much get people to go on Wikipedia and look up who Kate Bush is and then be like, oh, maybe I could uh, look up the Kate Bush record now, like it, you know, that kind of thing. I thought you were going to say was gonna, um, you're trying to throw out catnip for uh, people that worked at record stores, but you know. Oh, that well, that too. too. <laughs> that too. It, it all amounts to the same. But I mean, that's nothing... I mean, that's, but that's, that's how I think, you know, yeah, that's, that's how that's, I, I was going to say that's, that's nothing like new with this record necessarily. That's kind of always been in, in the case, uh, you know, all the way back to poison control center. There was like things that were like referential, but the references weren't, you know, you know, clonk hit you over the head with a cartoon mallet necessarily. It was, it was more like, Oh, that's, that's a reference to like another song or like a famous lyric yes. or something like recontextualized uh-huh. to mean something else. Uh, Definitely. Cause I think like all the guys in PCC too are, are like, we all are just like they worship music and listen to so much music that it just like becomes part of your dialogue. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost like the, um, you know, that episode of star Trek with it, where they meet the alien race that only uh, speaks in metaphor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If, if you're familiar, it's like, it's like, Oh no, this is all in like thin Lizzie references and like Sloan yeah. and Beatles, you know, <laughs> Yeah, which, that's me, you know, like, <laughs> Those three, yeah, those three for sure. Well, and I think all, the, but that's the thing. I think all the thing, all the people in Thin Lizzy and the Beatles and Sloan were, are probably the same way, right? Yeah, you know, they, like, they had their, you know, they maybe it was like blues artists or like you know, or or, or, or artists of like a different era or something. But I, I don't think that that's necessarily uh, new or unique. But it is something where it almost seems like it's not in fashion for popular music. Like it kind of seems like it's it's. Th- that more esoteric kind of thing, y- you know, don't get me wrong. Warren Zevon had like, 
you know, werewolves of London, but it's like you know you don't get like that that the like the more literate side of things usually doesn't uh, bubble to the top for mainstream success. It ends up being something that's being like a niche thing that like people latch onto and it means a lot to them. But for every silkworm that's out there, you know, there's also going to be you know something like more overt and more like duh, here's the thing that is is. Uh, yeah. I have no idea what I'm trying to say here, but y- y- no, you get where I, I'm going, get- right? I get it completely because, like, I also think, like, in modern music and modern popular music, they nobody wants to. Uh, it's very of the time, you know. Like, it's talking about like uh, I, I, I I taught a, a a songwriting class to the uh, at the University of Iowa. It's like the Iowa Writers Workshop. So all these like high school kids from around the world came, and I asked them like what makes a song timeless or, you know, like what's the greatest song ever written or like, is is this song timeless? And like, so they're, you know, like they're playing like stuff like a a Kanye West song. that's talking about tweeting to this certain, you know, B-I-P-C-H and stuff. I'm like, I'm like, that's of the time. That's about as ephemeral as you can get. If you're giving a shout out Twitter references, it it ain't timeless, (laughs) you know? And then somebody would be like yellow by Coldplay. You know, they're all very like, they don't have like a, a, none of them, which was interesting, like the songwriting part of this, like songwriting or the writer's workshop was like an elective on a Saturday, of like a two week course that they were kind of doing from all around the country. So I just came in for like six hours. We did like a songwriting class. And so, you know, you got to pack a lot in in six hours, but like, so then somebody would say something like yellow by Coldplay. And I was like, okay, that we listened to the lyrics and then it's like, okay, this song is timeless because it's just about like love and love is timeless. Right. It's pretty pretty vague. I, 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 I called it, um, at one point, uh, the 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 bland idea of love meant to be the gray wallpaper of of an office. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan, yeah. Chris Martin coming yeah. up next week. I think like every woman in my life that I've ever met since that song came out like loves that song. Though. Exactly, I'm not the audience, dude. I'm not the audience, you know, and that's yeah. okay. And and that I think that's that's something that uh, there, there's not enough discussed about either about something being good for what it is uh but you know acknowledging okay that's not for me uh which is not what we were talking about we were talking about the songwriting class that uh you, yeah, yeah. yellow from yeah Broadway yeah it gets brought up sure i can bring up a million songs that that all the women in my life like that i'm like eh, yeah fast car by tracy chapman i mean it's okay it's but fine. you know like, it's, fine. Yeah. I mean, it's cool <laughs> But I, I mean, I don't know. It's you know, I guess it's a jam, not my jam. <laughs> no, but uh, and I'm not trying to be sexist or anything because women do have great taste in music, and most of the artists, a lot of the my favorite music is actually made by women. So, well, uh, and then like you know, I can sit here and talk about ZZ Top deep cuts, and you know, that's that's for me, and like I'm super into yeah. it, and I totally get it. If someone's like, this is this is, come on, <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. all right, I get it. You know, yeah, it, it's not. It. It, I like Guided by Voices, and it's a bunch of other forty-year-old dudes who like Guided by Voices. You know, like, <laughs> I get it. It's, yeah, exactly. It, it's, girls it's, don't want to like squeeze together and pour beer on each other and and raise our fist in the air. Like I, I saw Guided by Voices last year at Riot Fest, and I was like, Oh, you were wow. at that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that was uh, literally almost a year ago uh, this week from the personal yeah. time. That was the last time we saw each other. Yeah. Um, which was fantastic because I, I didn't saw that know. As well, we I, I, I'm sticking around the the next day to see my friend's band play at Riot Fest, and so I got to see Bob Mold, who was freaking awesome. Got to see Guided by Voices, which was always freaking awesome. Uh, I saw saw a couple other bands. I, I 
I by the time B fifty twos were on, I was like, I, I, I gotta go. I can't. I can't do this yeah, anymore. Which there were so many people there, though. I it wanted like, to see Bikini Kill so bad, and I was just like, I freaking, I, I just, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I can't do this anymore. I gotta leave. Like it was just too much I for think, me. I think Ween doing the Mollusk was the highlight of my weekend or whatever that was fabulous just because i'd never seen ween before and i love that album so much and i saw him do that with the but, flaming lips and the liars opened but i didn't oh, wow. but i didn't know the liars were opening <laughs> so like when the, i and I, I walked in on the last song and it was um and i was like god the, sing, the singer of this band kind of looks familiar and like i couldn't figure it out couldn't figure it out and someone's like oh have you seen the liars before i'm like oh not in like a long time and they kind of like it was their first tour so they it was like when they kind of sounded like mean gang of four you know like it was and it was like a totally different lineup and he wasn't playing guitar yeah, yeah, yeah. and like i was like oh i wish i would have known that they were playing i wish they were anywhere on the ticket because that actually is really awesome and i would have loved to have seen the, the whole thing but anyway yeah ween ween played that and they um well, that's that's kind of how i felt the night i saw you because Earlier that weekend, well, first off, I, I officiated a wedding in Michigan that weekend, wow, and then I came. Busy weekend, Jesus. Yeah, Sam Bakari, who's a great power pop artist. Everybody out there, uh, Sam Bakari got married, and I, I got to marry him and his lovely wife Megan. And then uh, it was cool uh, because some friends had tickets to Riot Fest, and then it was like uh, they were going to give one to my friend Emily, and then. Uh, Emily's like, you want to go to the Riot Fest? And I was like, cool. I got to buy my own ticket. But I, but I saw the lineup and I was like, let's do it. But anyway, once we got there, they introduced us uh, to Tropical Fuckstorm. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And so they were like, this band's playing tonight at a club. And I'm just like, we're going to go to a club after sitting at a festival yeah. all day with like eight. I'm like, I love rock and roll, but oh, man, I'm, I'm going to be tired. I, I appreciate a wedding last night. They're at an open bar. Like, I don't know. And so what, anyway, they show us like a couple music videos that morning. And I'm just like, holy shit, let's go to this band. And then I look it up and I see your opening. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, my friend's opening this show. We've got to go to this. So then we're leaving Riot Fest and they're like, oh, we got plenty of time. You know, da, da, da. I'm like, cause there's all these cars lined up, you know, like that are fake Ubers, but not real Ubers. And I'm just like, <laughs> Let's just get in one of these cars. You, you look closer at the sign. It says Fuber or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they were all like, they were all like, no, I think like we got to be like a little more careful. We're in a big city. And I'm like, what the? Let's get in one of these cars. I don't want to be late. Like yeah, yeah. now that I know my friend is opening, it's like I definitely want to get there. And when we got there, it was like I think we were like the last people to get tickets. They already had tickets. Yeah, friend. So it was like. And so I'm so glad we got there. And then you know, I had people I got, hitting me up to get tickets, like as we were going on stage. I was like, I, I, "This is one of the reasons why I don't bring my phone on stage." And also, I can't help yeah. you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I think we were like last ones to get tickets, uh, and I got to catch like five songs. Of you and you, it was so fun to just see you in a, uh, you know, just a packed out, sweaty rock and roll club, and you killed it. And then they got on, and they were fucking awesome too. And like, I think I told you this. You know, uh, I think you made them probably play better that night just because you guys were just like, you know, it's hard to be an opening band uh, yeah. in a packed club because everybody's waiting to see the main event. Especially when it's a band from a different country where they're like, oh, I've, I've come from this many states away to go see this band play and you're in my way of that happening. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
you are taking up my rock and roll time, but you killed it. And I think like that, it, it's like, you know, cause we've all, we've both opened up for bigger bands and stuff and like, okay, you're playing in a club or like a theater in front of this band that everybody's waiting for. It's pretty tough to like win over an audience, but if you can do it, uh, it's pretty magical and pretty special. And hopefully yeah. you gain some lifelong fans from it. So uh, you guys did it that night. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, that, that was nice. And that was when I saw the, uh, the one year ago reminder of that, I was like, Oh, that feels like so long ago. <laughs> it was it only a year ago. <laughs> feels like five lifetimes to me. So yeah, I I, I feel you. So and before we got onto that, the the the, the tropical fuckstorm piece of it, I thought we were going down like a a pretty good path about yeah. Guided by voices is like dudes of a certain age rock basically, and and that's that's. Oh, yeah. That's fine. And I think it's always been that way. It's always been that way. Yeah. It's just like the, the, dude, the dudes how, themselves have maybe changed out. But <laughs> I always thought that's how Poison Control Center was, too. Like, I think we were like a band that dudes liked. Mm. I'm not saying that there wasn't girls who liked our band. And, and right. like some of our biggest fans are girls or people who have tattoos of lyrics and stuff are girls. But like uh, we were just kind of like that. I, I think all the super fans were like dudes. You know, which is cool because I mean that's the type of band hopefully that I would like too. Probably just because we're ripping off Guided by Voices or something, you know. Like, well, I mean, well, first of all, the songs are good, so that that always is going to hit in a certain way. But I think the presentation and the fact that it was a very bombastic show, like, um, you know, like when I would characterize it to people in an attempt to get them to come out. I'd be like, yeah, it's like the who or something. There's like, you know, one dude like flying off of like a wall and another dude doing the splits and like, it's crazy, but all the songs are really good and it all comes together. And, and just, you know, I would, I would describe it in terms of the hook would be like, oh, it's a crazy show. And that would get some people in the door that would also be like, oh, and these songs are good too. I will buy a record now. But uh, yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world to be known as like a like super fun, boisterous live band, which Poison Control Center absolutely embodied. Yeah. And I think that that was uh, maybe our uh, also our downfall because we wanted to probably all of us like love, you know, chiller music. So once we got into a studio, we wanted to like, you know be a, a a chameleon type band where we're yeah. like playing piano rock or you know make your olivia tremor control songs your your beach yeah, boys like songs you know yeah be, be weird like that or just try to make like yeah like an acoustic great acoustic pop song or something but then when you get on stage it's like it's really hard to play a ballad uh, <laughs> When, staring at you, yeah. When you got a twin <laughs> reverb behind you, and everybody in the audience is like, "All right, I got two beers in my hand, and I'm ready to fucking rock," you know, yeah, like yeah. that makes you want to rock. And so, like, hey, y'all, here's a song about lost love, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One, two, three, four, go, two, two, two. And 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 I and I kind of miss it now that I don't do it anymore. Yeah. But like, I think that like when we were you know, we did a long tour. We did 287 shows in 13 months and put out two records. Yeah, man. And, and when we were done with that, I think it was like, we were all kind of like, uh, well, what's next? And of course, like we, we knew we were going to be taking a break because people are going back to school or getting married or Life all that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, I really think that like, you know, like maybe we, uh, you know, we were always so scared to just be out like, oh, let's go play it. Like, let's play, let's bring some acoustic electric guitars and try to play some acoustic stuff or try to be like 
a more of like a psychedelic band like we are on record or something but it's just tough it's easier to just go up there with a couple overdrive pedals and Whale. swing your arm to yeah. rock <laughs> and it's fun and it's fun you yeah. can't forget that it's like and and if you're having fun hopefully the audience is going to have fun and um you know i always wanted to be a band where like the records were different than what it is like on stage well and, and that worked too because it was something where if somebody discovered the band through the live show and the, and the boisterous nature of it then what they do if they pick the record they're like oh you know these songs are catchy they're you know they're cool like and i and be like oh i kind of remember this one but i think it was more bombastic when i saw them play it you know like just yeah. like the delivery yeah. and the arrangement wouldn't necessarily be exactly the same but it wouldn't necessarily be like super different either yeah and i definitely think that that was i liked that about the band but like you know, I think that uh, I think you got to use the studio as a tool too. You know, like, right? You weren't just doing the Albini thing where you just are recording the band in a room playing. You you would have your um, your embellishments and things that would serve the song rather than um, just having to be loud rock band playing loud rock band songs. Yeah, and lucky for him, he's really good at recording the band. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like I think that's that's tougher when you when you're doing it on your own or like you know. I think like that's that's the thing though like some of those uh and I know you've had Albini as a guest a couple times like it's some of those recordings that he's done whether you know it's his own stuff like shellac or uh even back to like the Pixies or something you know like you see the Pixies live and I was at the first ever Pixies show back in 04. Oh right right when uh, they when they first came back and started doing shows and yeah, stuff. I was at them, the yeah. first one back I'm in that movie loud quiet loud I'm like you can see me I'm wearing like a white and red stocking cap and like the fourth row. Yeah. I look like a little Where's Waldo in the audience. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like that band, that band is so incredible on record. And, you know, like maybe it's just because I drove around and just had my fucking stereo up so yeah. loud that you think they're just like, tear, like just yeah. like playing like, and, and, you know, Frank Bax just like stand there like, Got me a movie. I want you. He's just sedate looking while he's playing it. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, and, and that was the, like, that was the thing. The first time I ever saw Weezer, I was just like, Oh my God, I can't wait to see Pat Wilson drum the drum fills from Pinkerton yeah. because I have air drummed those drum fills so much. And they're so fucking big. And he's just like, yeah. Just like super restrained. Yeah. Filled out, you know, like these are good fills. And like, and I was just like, because, but the reason is, is because like Dave Friedman engineered that Pinkerton record yeah. and that's why those drums sound so good. And Steve Albini, you know, whatever, recorded the Pixies record and made it just sound so like, it's, it's just, a, it's just, it, it's just fierce and just cuts your fucking throat off. Right. So and even so, if, the, if the live show is more Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers than Blue Cheer, like it's, it's like, oh, it's because the recording like presented those yeah. songs in that way. And so we always had like these recordings that were kind of laid back. So then when we got on stage, people were like, whoa, this band is like loud and rocking and, yeah. and crazy, uh, which which I think is the opposite for like whatever, maybe the Pixies or Weezer, where their albums just sound loud and rocking and crazy. And then they get on stage and they're like, they might as well be playing in chairs. But the songs are good. <laughs> yeah, but the, the songs, songs are good. Yeah, but, but, but it, yeah, it still kills. I mean, like... I, I, when I when I saw the Pixies play when they first came back, you know there there was a, a young lady immediately to my left that was screaming every every word of every song like with every like fiber of her being along with like what what was being played and it was like 
I was like, cool, I can get down with this. I'm definitely going to move my ear away from you because this is getting a little bit piercing. But it, they're, they're the type of band that would have that manner of, of fan. And, with, and, you know, if you're into a certain type of music, you've probably, like, played the crap out of, like, you know, Doolittle and Surfer Rosa. And, like, you know, you, it, it's just kind of like it's, it's in the DNA of a certain type of person in a, uh, that's into a certain kind of music for sure. Yeah, I was I was kind of a jock in high school, you know, like I played football and baseball and stuff. And and people would bring CDs before the football games to play in the locker room. Right. Right. And so like people are playing, you know, like ACDC and Metallica and, you know, stuff that's awesome. And it totally gets the normal jock pumped up. But I can remember I brought Doolittle because to me, that was like like, you know, this is going to we're gonna we're gonna win tonight if i play this shit. yeah we're gonna get super stoked. it's so good it's so good and it's yeah. just so rocking and like i can remember uh how did that go like, over oh, did that, did that... Uh, it didn't it didn't go over and we did not win people were like you know like that's not place they're like what was that shit pat was playing earlier you know like <laughs> and then for like for like two years i couldn't find my fucking a Doolittle CD, you know, and I was like, "Fucking leave that in the fucking locker room," <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the saddest story ever of a Pixies fan. Yeah, he's lost his copy of Doolittle in the locker room. Failed pump up music for. Uh... <laughs> For the, for the Let's just say I, I I'm not in charge of Jock Jams thirty. <laughs> That's like Jock Jams volume one thousand and forty five. Like they're starting yeah. to like, okay, who's left? Who haven't we done? I should start a like a Spotify playlist of like the real jock jams. And it's like got the Pixies on it. It's got like uh, shellac on it. You know, like Fugazi, stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stuff like that. Like that's the kind of shit that pumps me up. Yeah, I guess you know. I hear you know. It's like it, you know, no, no, no offense to Def Leppard or whatever you know, but it's it's sort of like yeah, that's it, it yeah. evokes different reactions from 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 different people. What? But then I'd probably also put like a Simon and Garfunkel song in the middle. Too. <laughs> Come on, I'm so inspired to play now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Homeward <laughs> bound. Let's do this. <laughs> in the right moment, in the right context. Yeah. Uh, so the the first Poison Control record, that was uh, Collage of Impressions, right? Yeah, yeah. We put out a bunch of like little like EPs and yeah. like stuff like that and singles before then. But that was kind of the first one we were, you know, we got serious and went to a studio and like, Worked with a really great producer, Pat Stolly, who is like the original Day Trotter guy recording. So he's recorded hundreds and hundreds of bands. Yeah, yeah. Knows his way around. So much gear and like everything was analog. He didn't even have a computer in the studio, you know, it's just like, uh, but, you know, like, and we had like really liked his music. So like, uh, but, you know, like he's, he is, uh, he's so fantastic, but he's also, you know, he, he, uh, you know, we're the type of guys where it's like, well, you know, like we got 25, we have four songwriters in the band. Like we're yeah. going to try to record 25 songs. Right. <laughs> and like, you know, we're doing this over weekends and like, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, a- after you record 19 songs, he's like, you don't need any more songs. You know, <laughs> stop enough. enough. Like, Mercy. <laughs> uh, but, and of course, like, you know, it's all analog gear. So shit's breaking down and yeah. stuff like that. But we loved it enough that we went back for Sad Sour Future to record with him. But that record was kind of interesting because uh, I had just bought a bunch of old recording gear. I like, I, you know, like it happens once to everybody where you, it just falls into your lap. 
like right. all this great shit. And I had mine, uh, and it, and it like, you know, it's like an old, a guy had a son who ended up being like carrot top and John Lovett's manager, but he had a recording studio in Ames wow. and he had all this, all, all I wanted to buy that's was a, like that's a nice an incredible car. sentence, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All I wanted to buy was like this, like a nice tripod for a camera. And I go out there and there's like Neumann U87 microphones. There's, there's two console desks from the eighties. There's all this like first edition pro tool stuff. There's like, you know, regular microphones and stuff like, but like there's, there's a, there's tape machines and like the guy's just like, Oh, this is all my son's stuff. You know, he's a manager of carrot top. And I was just like, I was like, well, you could probably get like $2,000 for that tape machine. And he goes for, for $3,000, you can have it all. You know? And like, and I'm like, Oh my God. And, and so like, of course I only got $1,500 in my account. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like, so I call Pat Stolle, the, the guy who produced PCC, and I was like, hey, dude, uh, this guy's got a Neumann U87 yeah. vintage microphone. He's got two consoles. Got like he's 10 got grand's two, worth of gear here. <laughs> tape machines. He's got, he's got $700 tripods. He's got like all this crazy stuff. And he's like, well, I'll spot you $1,500. And then I call um, Ashley, who's my ex-wife, and I was just like telling her about it. And she's like, why are you getting Stolly involved? I got that money, you know, like all this kind of shit. Right, right, right. So anyway, uh, but so, but because Stolly offered to put it up, I, I said to him, I would sell him the the tape machine because it, it was an interesting tape machine. It was a 24 track, one inch tape machine. Oh, interesting. Very, very interesting. Made never by Tascam. heard of such a thing, really. I mean. Yeah. Made by Tascam. And I said, okay, well, I'll sell you this tape machine, but with the understanding that the next PCC album has to be recorded on it, you know, like uh, that kind of, okay. uh, and I, and I sold him a couple com like compressors. And then I found out they were like compressors that like, you know, Fleetwood Mac was kind of using and stuff like that. So I was like, man, I probably shouldn't have done that. But I made like $8,000 just selling. Yes. And it still like, sounds like the deal of the century, like all things. Yeah. In. yeah. And, then, and then I kept, I kept a bunch of, you know, kept the Neumann and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so then we recorded the next, uh, Sad Star Future was recorded on that one inch 24 track. Well, so, well, that, and that's crazy. And, and I like that record a lot. I, I definitely want to talk about it. But before we get away from Collage of Impressions, I mean, did you know that, like, at the time that, like, Magic Circle Symphony, you're, you're like, oh, this is, like, this is a jam. This this is, like, this is something special here. This is, Or is it just like, oh, it's another song, you know, out of the 24 we're going to record? I think, like, uh, well, it's interesting you, you bring that up because, like, we had already, you know, from the first time we ever played that song, it hit with people yeah. uh, in, a, in a live sense. And so we would probably played the song, like, 50 times before we ever got into a recording studio and so by that time we were like maybe we were kind of like well how do we do this the recording of it because we've played it so many times just straight like so and the recording is kind of weird so there's like a minute jam before the song actually starts on the record <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah and we yeah. never did that live but like for some reason that's like the the that's the recording of it yeah just because I think we were uh, not bored with it, but like we wanted you, to. You played it so much that like you're kind of trying yeah. to bring something out, but maybe and give something new in presentation, recontextualize. Yeah, and, yeah. And of course, we we all always in our minds thought we were some psychedelic band, you know, and and you know we tried to achieve that on that, and it didn't work. But you know, like, uh, 
but it's interesting, you know. Well, it's a good even, record. I mean, it's it's yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it I mean, it, it was a great like whatever. Yeah, for us at the time. But even like it was crazy. Like two days ago, I had a friend call me during the day, and uh, uh, he's like, "Hey, can you call me back?" And, and I and I totally spaced it all day, and then I like saw my text. And I was like, "Oh, I gotta call him back." And so he's like, "Yeah, can you call me?" And so like, I called him, and he's just like, "Hey, I just wanted to let you know. I didn't want you to see it on Facebook or something, but like." you know, the second line of Magic Circle Symphony. And of course I'm like, what is the second line of Magic Circle? And then I was like, oh shit, you got cancer. You know, like, so it, even today, like that yeah. is the song, that, like people like uh, associate with PCC and, and stuff like that. So it really hit hard for a lot of people like that song for some reason and right away. And I just, you know, like, I just wrote it about, you know, after having a conversation with somebody, it's just like, you know, like if you're in love and like all that stuff and like, you know, like it doesn't even matter because, you know, like it's someday, you know, you're we're all going to get cancer and die or whatever. You know, it's like it's like one of those things. It's like watching the seventh seal or something. It's just like you can you can. Uh, it's pretty depressing when you're just like, well, what's the fucking point? Yeah. Right. <laughs> the existential dread of, of, yeah, of like, nothingness. Well, yeah. Why should I fall in love? <laughs> I mean, it's going to break my heart. Right. You right, know, like, right. it's like that's kind of like what, you know, the conversation was. And then that went into that and of course like i just used cancer because it rhymed with answer you know it could have been heart disease something <laughs> you know? it'd be this incredibly poignant thing that those people connect to and like have like a personal yeah. relationship with and and it's and it's come back to haunt us too you know like when we opened up for pavement on their reunion tour of you know we were opening for them in kansas city there's 2400 people there of incredible show you know it's a week before Don, our original drummer, got married, so we kind of said it was his unofficial bachelor party. It was fantastic. So he came, even though he wasn't drumming with us on that tour, and he played sax. And you know, we did. It was just, it was just so fantastic. And of course, we played Magic Circle because there was quite a few. You know, we were playing in Kansas City, so there's a bunch of our friends and fans there, sure. and because we're opening for Pavement, and so we played Magic Circle Symphony, and, it, and whatever, it went over great. But there was one, you know, kid in the crowd who was probably like, you know, 18 or 19 years old with there with his dad, who, who I could see, you know, like when you're looking out to 2,400 people, it's hard to explain to somebody who's never done it uh, to people who are listening or whatever, but it's, it's like, you can see faces, right. You know, yeah. like it's not just a sea of sea of, you know, grays and blacks and whites and it's like faces. And I could see that this, the song had, was upsetting of this person and, you know, like after the song was done, he was just like, fuck you, fuck you guys. And, you know, like when a loud bombastic band is playing and then it gets quiet in a theater, you can hear what the people are. Yeah, you yeah. Can, you, you can, can actually hear the, the the heckles or shouts. Yeah, or yeah, you can feel the reaction, you know, from the audience. And a lot of times it's good. And I felt like that whole night was good. But like there was, there was a, a guy who was upset about it. And, of course, that upset me. Right. Because I you know, it was, it's my song or whatever. I wrote it and I, and I was like, man, it was so upsetting. So I, you know, found the person, found out, got his information, wrote him, found out his whole story. You know, his mom had had a huge struggle with cancer and, mm, and I had yeah. explained, to him, explained to him about like why I wrote the song and stuff like that. And then, you know, like just because I had that personal connection with him, we ended up like, you know, sharing emails for a long time and like, and he became a fan of a poise control center and came to shows and like, you know, but you know, like, I think that there there's, 
you know, I could have just like walked off and been like, fuck, I stole them for like my third favorite band ever. I don't give a fuck. You know, yeah. like, I don't care if they're this, you know, like, but I was, so you know, like, it, yeah. it, it really like, it really like made that night kind of turn around for me. And, and so I'm so happy that like, I went out and like found him and like found out his story because like, you know, it, it is kind of a weird song to explain to somebody, you know, and of course, right. of course, we all, we all know people who have died of cancer and, and, uh, but you know, it can, it can hit hard for some people. And I think that's the power of music for better or worse too, you know? So. Well, and if something's going to evoke a reaction and it's going to be a strong reaction, you know, one, one would like to hope that's always going to be positive, but sometimes a strong reaction can, can go another way. And, there's not necessarily going to be something that you're going to be in control over. You I mean, it's going to be yeah. something where people have other things going on in their lives. You know, the context is different yeah. for them. And I can understand if, 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 if a band's singing a song about cancer and the dumbasses are rolling around and doing the splits while we're doing it, that, that they might think like, that we weren't serious. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. You know, so I, I can see how somebody might get offended. Uh, but I mean, that's also the definition of rock and roll is to offend people. So, I mean, like, like you said, you know, it's going to, it's going to touch people different ways, but I, it definitely affected me that night. So I'm so glad I reached out or whatever, but, but it's still haunting me. That song is what I'm saying. Like two days ago, a friend calls me and it's, it's, it's um, as a reference point for talking about a painful subject. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry but to hear that news. That sucks. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going. Uh, he's a great. He was a great guy, you know. Like he, uh, he used to do interviews. He used to interview Poise Control Center a bunch, and he, he's like a comedian uh, in Iowa City. Just a great, great dude. Hilarious, hilarious dude. So, and a great, great, great supporter of the Iowa music scene. You know, you need those folks around for sure. Oh yeah. So then, that's our that's our future is. It's a record I love, but the the scope and scale of it is pretty uh, pretty crazy. Like there that was it was it conceived as like oh no we're gonna go for we're gonna go for this and make like this big huge record. Everyone's writing all these songs. Yeah, well we I I had challenged the band. You know I I've always been kind of like the I'm not gonna say the leader, right. but the the. The instigator. The instigator, the rabble rouser, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, okay, guys, now it's time to, we got to start working on another record. And so none of us were living in the same town. So uh, I was just like, come on, we got to send, one of us at least has to send the other three a demo every day. And so, because we're going to, we're going to take a week in May, we're all going to get together and we're going to record a record. And so, by the end of it, we had 44 songs, right? <laughs> and then, of course, like, and when I said the demo of the Dave thing, I was just like, here we go. Here's number one. Yeah. You know, like, who, who's got tomorrow? You know, yeah, like, yeah. that kind of thing. And, of course, with Poison Control Center, it became a slight competition, you know, because the first time Don sends a song, it sounds like fucking you know, dark side of the moon or something. It's all fleshed out. <laughs> yeah. It's you like know, a fully I, conceived thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, what the fuck? And so, cause the first song I'm just sending is like acoustic song, acoustic guitar and me singing, you know, yeah. like I can envision a Devin guitar solo, but I, I'm not going to put it on there. So then it became like a thing like, like we're fleshing out these demos, like no tomorrow. And like, and it's interesting because like, I think like we could have probably just released the demos and moved on to a different record or something because yeah. like, 
a lot of the songs end up sounding like a lot like the demos, but uh, a lot of the songs sound completely different too. So it's like, uh, but it, I, I kind of consider that record, uh, it, this is hard for me to say, but it's kind of like a four dudes solo record with PCC backing each other. You know, it's kind of like the Beatles, the way they talk about the White Elm or something. Yeah. Because we had so little time to record. We had like a week to record it. So it was just like, we picked all of our favorite songs and then it was just like, okay, whoever song it is kind of like lead, the, lead the, the arrangement and the, the whatever else. Yeah. And, and, and of course we also went to Pat Stolly the night before and he smoked some weed and we drank some beers and we're like, we want you to be like the fifth member of this band. We want you to produce, we want you to have ideas and what, and because we only have a week, we're going to put all the effects onto tape. We're going to record the effects, right? So yeah. if you want to put some slap back on a, on a snare drum, put it on there. So, so we have to stick to it. We have to commit. Cause we only got a week to do this. Yeah, right? yeah. You, you so don't want to get lost in uh, second guessing things and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the way they would do it in the sixties, you know, or whatever. Yeah, you so didn't have a like, choice. Exactly. It was, <laughs> yeah. So like, let's just do it like that. And he had recorded all those bands with day trotter. So he was already like live kind of mixing bands. Right. So uh, we thought it was a good idea to give him complete control of that situation. And then of course the first song we record is a, a song called stay golden, which is one of my songs. And I'm playing acoustic guitar on it, and we go back. We we feel like we got a pretty good take. You know, it's kind of a long song for us, like four and a half minutes. Feel like got a pretty good take. We go back to listen to it, and I'm like, "What the fuck is that phaser on my acoustic guitar?" And he goes, "You said it." And Pat goes, "You said I could do whatever I want." <laughs> and I was like, "No, I don't want that." <laughs> you know, so it's like it's good. It's good to give somebody complete control when they're producing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, of course. But you have to. And then I just like calmed myself, and I was like, "Nope." right we said that like cool and of course like whatever i was there when i was mixing it so it's just like now we're taking the acoustic guitar out you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly it, it, so, well, but it's cool that he did it he was just like i'm gonna see how much i can push with these guys right away like if they're getting <laughs> to really letting me do whatever i want see because the there was so level many, of that actually means yeah yeah there were so many times where it was like we would come back and he's like okay i put some slap back on that because we were all recording in the same room it was like a big old school's of like lunchroom you know so it's like kind of like a little auditorium kind of recording studio and he just had like you know a glass thing in between but he was in the room right so he was like and he's got like a wall of like you know compressors and delays and stuff like that and he's just like sitting there in headphones and like jacking around the whole time but of course he's like he's not like like a, a real cheerleader type producer yeah. So we would think, like, whatever, you'd get the greatest take of, of the greatest song you've ever written. Yeah. And we'd just be like, we'd be like, what'd you think? And he'd be like, sounds like PCC, you know? <laughs> and we'll just be like, oh. Right, right, right. And, and you're looking for, like, some kind of, like, yeah, it was good. We all cool. And it's like, all right. It's okay. Yeah. But, I mean, that was also a good thing about him because he's, like, you know, very humbling professionally nonplussed about it <laughs> yeah but he's also one of those guys who just like you know like like you or i probably like love sound he just yeah. like loves sound you know so it's just like you put a microphone on you put a weird microphone on a snare drum and something that's not technically correct and he's just like that sounds cool you know yeah. like just run with it you know, and see what happens yeah and it's just like because it does it's just like you know like you you hit a snare drum through a fucking uh SM57 or like a, a Neumann microphone or a, a microphone that's going through a telephone. It's just like, it sounds cool. Cause it's just like, that's a snare drum. You know, it's yeah. like, that's cool. Like run with it, you know? 
And I loved that about him and learned a, a ton about making music from him. Well, it's definitely a, a record that sounds like you guys were taking full advantage of like, okay, how can we make this an interesting record? You know, and, and especially when you talk about the dichotomy between the albums and the show, you know, the, the show is more forceful, like, like raucous live presentation. And then you'd have like these, this sort of like, you know, really, you know, there were, there were like psychedelic moments. There was things that was like, Oh, that's almost like Kraut Rocky or something there. Like things that would, would happen that make for a really compelling experience when you're listening to it, but wouldn't necessarily be the first thing you would think of when you, you know, see these four fellows just like erupt, <laughs> like, like, like the kiss uh, thing where it explodes and they jump out, you know, that's sort of like the yeah. poison control. Center I wish thing. we had that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would have helped maybe. Uh, no, I think that, I think you're right about that. And I think that the only way that we could have done that recorded that record in a week and with all the like little synthesized, you know, I, I think I play like keys on like nine songs on that album or something yeah. like that. And there's no way that, that wouldn't have been, we could have done that if we hadn't sent those demos out and just kind of like planned. You already it had a head. familiarity with what was going to be happening. So you can like, you, you weren't yeah. necessarily walking into it being like, all right, have an idea now. Yeah. Because like, uh, you know, is everybody just kind of like run towards an instrument and see, how, you know, like how it goes on this song. Right. Because we only got, you know, an hour or two to record the song. And so like, that was really fun. And, uh, you know, overdubs were, of you know great you know like and we had never played these songs together before you know like so we would practice you know we'd stay up way too late and playing cards and drinking beer and eating chips and talking Carrying about what on. we did before yeah and then like we'd wake up early and we would practice the song like the three or four songs we were going to record that day and just like get used to them like and you know pat stolly studio is so incredible because there's pianos there's electric pianos there's synthesizers there's all these different guitar you know like devin broke a neck on a sg guitar while we were there just like it fell off a stand you know it was right. like one of the most <laughs> un rock and roll things ever completely anticlimactic but still impactful yeah. in its way yeah it's just like oh i think i'm gonna play like a, this sg on this song whatever and sets it down whatever on an amp and <laughs> over <laughs> and it's just like Ugh. yeah and, and pastelli's dog died during it oh. this the week it was just it was a hell of a week but we got some music out of it for prosperity i guess i mean so when you're when you're making a record that's as as vast and expansive like that how do you decide what ends up like making to the live set that's a great question i think on that long tour we played 91 different songs so that that's that was cool joe kept Joe is, you know, Joe is very analytical in a great way that yeah. uh, I'm not. And, uh, you know, we always kept the set list going and like, or like kept a running tab of like the set list and blogged about our experiences and stuff like that. It was so great that he did that because it was, because our, a lot of times my memory was shady on, on shit of uh, too many beers or something, but uh, he, yeah. Yeah, we played 91 different songs. Now, that can be kind of skewed because we played this one show in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, that we had to play for three hours. So, you know, we did. <laughs> wow. Did you time yeah. travel back to 1965? That's crazy. It, it was crazy. I mean, they were giving us a lot of money uh, and a lot of, you know, low alcohol content beer. <laughs> Salt Lake City, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I was talking about that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was good beer, but it was just like, I feel like I drank a hundred beers and yeah. still the one who drove our friends 
home who let us stay at our, their house. Yeah, it, it makes you, one, it, you can be a low-rent Bob Pollard very easily that way, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which, in fact, one of the 91 songs we played, uh, I think we played – we did play Salty Salute, which we played a few times on tour just because we love GBB. But I think that night we played Closer You Are, The Quicker It Hits You, too, or something. One one other song by Guided by Boys, because we were just like pulling out songs, right? Yeah. Because like, we could like. do we know? <laughs> and, you know, like we have uh, Dave Olson, who was our fantastic yeah, drummer on great that. Great drummer, who, yeah. Who just joined the band and who ended up being the drummer for Stranger Ballet, but, you know, he wasn't in the band before. So he joined the band before the tour. So, you know, whatever, you practice 20 songs or whatever. Yeah. And and then, of course, we wrote some more on the road that became Stranger Ballet. So we probably had, you know, like, you know, 30 or 40 that we were pretty comfortable with. But, like, when you're playing that long, we were just, like, I think we played, like, you know, Caravan by Van Morrison or something at that show. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever things out of, out of left field. And, yeah. of course, like, Joe and Devin are, are good about, like, you know, like, they 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 can figure stuff out or, or can just run with it right you know so like next thing you know we're doing like you know can't explain by the who just because like whatever Devin knows the opening riff and like dent yeah dun, dun, dun. I, when, like, if you have the opening riff you pretty much have the song so <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, i know the words so like here we go you know like so yeah we played some bowie the who you know gbv you know we were doing you know everything that night uh but it was, it was, you know, like, I don't think I'd want to walk, listen to it, <laughs> listen to the recording of it. But, so, that's, so that 91 songs was probably pretty skewed from, you know, we probably played 20-some that night one time. So. Yeah. But he did calculate every song, you know, like, so it was like, uh, you know, probably like Don't Go, a, a great Joe song uh, from Collage of Impressions. You know, of the 287 shows, we probably played that 234 of them or, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so. And in PCC, whoever was the DD uh, got to pick the set list, you know, got to write. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So every four nights you were of kind of like the band manager, you know, we never had a tour manager or anything. So it was like, so uh, there's four guys in the band. So every fourth night you were the, you know, band manager, you would have to be the one who dealt with the club, get paid be the DD that night of write the set list. So you got to write the set list, which yeah. is cool. Uh, and you were, you know, in charge of getting everybody home safely and, or back to wherever floor we were sleeping on. Uh, but so the set list got, you know, definitely of, uh, they were different every night, which is fun and keeps it exciting and interesting for a band. And if you're like a person who dug the band and you went and saw them a couple nights in a row, you were definitely not going to see the same show. But of course you might get, you know, like you might get, you know, somebody might be in a mood and be like, let's do a bunch of songs we haven't played yet on tour. And like, yeah. you know, like, and I'm just like, you know, like I'm always like, come on, we got to give the people what they paid for, you know, yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the showman side of things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, and of course, you know, like when you're on tour that long, it's just like, I feel like, uh, you know, like every night you're just trying to win over the audience, right? So it's like I always feel right, like best all right, foot forward. You don't necessarily want to go for the deepest cuts. Yeah, and it's just like go let's for what's just familiar, so you can just fucking you know, bang yeah. out eight, eight to ten rockers. Let's get on the stage, get off the stage in like thirty five minutes, and then the next time we come and they bring their ten friends, yeah. you know, like or whatever, we'll we'll throw them a deep cut, 
And then, of course, the next time you go and there's only five more people at the town. <laughs> and they're all different people than the first time you were yeah, there. Yeah. And it's like, we got to give them the eight best right. songs again. You know, right, like, right, right, you get right. stuck in a rut of playing the, you know, your go-tos. And so. next thing you know, you've learned 20 songs and you're playing the same, like, eight or nine every every night. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the reason that we, like, you know, like, we, we did a couple reunion shows a couple years ago. And it's super fun for the people who want to see us. And it's super fun for us just to get together and, and play. And we, uh, you know, financially, it's wonderful because they're paying us way more than we ever got paid when we were right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And That's apparently uh, the key to, like, being a successful band is stop being a band. And then people will give you yeah, money to be a band. That's the secret. It's like, yeah. it's like, oh, we used to have to play for three hours and we got paid 50 bucks. And now we're, now we're like, uh, come and play for a half hour. Uh, you know, it's just one show the whole year and you get paid, you know, two grand or something. It's just like, what, you know? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, but you, we get stuck playing the same, you know, we got to play the don't go. We got to play the magic circle. We got to play, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. So it gets, uh, it's not as fun as if we got back together. So a couple years ago, we did play at 8035 music festival, which is the big music festival in Des Moines. And so we didn't tell anybody we were going to do this, but we play gloom balloon had booked a a, a, a 8035 after party the night before but secretly we we're going to do a pcc show so the place was packed and then gloom balloon was supposed to come on but then we just did a pcc show but so we did like a, a an hour and a half pcc show on friday night mm -hmm. and then like a, a a 40 minute set on iowa public radio stage at 8035 and then our actual 8035 set so but we didn't want to repeat any songs. Oh man. So wow. Okay. Each of them to be with, you know, like with, you know, four hours of practice the day before. Right. And we haven't played sure. together for five years. Yeah. I was going to so, say, but you guys aren't in like in the same town, like playing every week either. That's yeah. something to consider. But we did it. Yeah. We did it. We only repeated one song and it was because Don's wife couldn't come the night before to the after party. So she, he wanted to play it for her. Uh, that day but that so that was fun but of course with that being said you know you're gonna get you're gonna get some loose pcc and not <laughs> wham, not the wham bam thank you ma'am or the wham blam uh, yeah. no thank you ma'am you'll, you'll get some like gary song. young style pavement you know mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like oh it's... But i think that's sometimes where the magic lies yeah and like sometimes when you go and see a band and they're just so good like yeah they're just so good. Like what's going to happen bad, you know, like yeah. maybe one of them will break a string, you know, or something, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, there's no element of danger to it necessarily. Yeah. yeah. And so, and that's fun to play too. You know, like it's a little more like jazz in that sense where you're just like, I think I know the next chord. Here we go. Ooh, I didn't know it, but I landed that jump. <laughs> <laughs> nice consolation prize there. So yeah. I, 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 I believe the original, the question was how, how do you pick what songs to play? So it, it seemed it seems oh, yeah. like <laughs> a lot of lot of factors involved there. But uh... DD picks it. That's all you need. To know. <laughs> there you go. That's well. But it's 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 interesting because there are some songs that are there are great songs on that record that it's sort of like oh that's awesome. But it wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily expect to see it played at a show. Uh, yeah, I think there's a couple of. You know, like one of those uh, Joe songs on that record, I can't think what it's called right now, uh, is so good. And we love, we all love the recording of it and stuff, but I think maybe we played it live once or twice. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those type of things. Um, 
but that's and cool. You kind of know that if something's working live or not too. It's it's sort of like sometimes sometimes it's like yeah, it's it's good. Like and there can be, you know, there can be a band that has like you know the song is amazing, it's so good, and then like when they play it live, like yeah, that was okay. Yeah, like what? Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite that's bands cool. in Oakland, B Hamilton, they have the song Gold Tooth, and it's like the best song on their on their on their first record. But every time I've seen them play it, I'm like, yeah, it's that's. That's good, but it's you know, I, I there's like 15 other songs I'd rather see you play than that because it's just yeah, never it gonna be as good. It doesn't hit the same way. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing that the dichotomy of uh, Poise Control Center to Gloom Balloon is. I prefer in Gloom Balloon to kind of perform the slower, softer songs. Yeah. Where in PCC we were so scared to do that. But mind you, it's just me up there. So like it's, now I'm maybe like trying to sing or something instead of just being like, you know, like. there's less cover. Uh, and it's not that it, it's, uh, the presentation is boring, but it's not like a bombastic presentation in the same way where you have a full, like loud rock band with amps and, and, and drums going. And it, it, by nature of the fact, it has to change how you perform and what, what yeah. type of songs you play. And a lot of times with Gloom Balloon, I'm playing with backing tracks, so it's like I know the I know the bass ain't gonna fuck up, right? <laughs> yeah, if somebody messes up, it's gonna be really apparent who it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's like it's more of like a it's more of like a performance art thing when you're playing the backing tracks and you have like you know like the uh, film like because yeah. you know like I work almost as hard as on the film for the show than I do on the songs, you know, like so actually tomorrow Christopher is flying into Des Moines and we are doing a private of spaced out show for 25 people in a, on a, in a, like a backyard field. Oh, wow. Cool. Out. And so I've been working on the show like all week, you know, like getting ready. And then on Saturday, we're going to film a lot or like a special uh, for our release show the next week. So anybody's like pre-order the record or follow us on Spotify or something can watch it. You know, instead of having a release show on the date, we're just going to put up like an hour long film right. on, online so we're going to a studio where both of those records were both of our records were recorded in and filming uh a little special which will be fun yeah that's awesome and and the uh, and again like trying to promote a record in a in a pandemic time it's like how do you do it right so it's like well let's make a little movie of us playing some songs live in a studio and yeah in a in a different way than they are on the on the record and then we'll just you know try to make it something <laughs> it, it does seem like maybe in situations where people might be uptight about something like that or or uh disdainful it's it's there there is this kind of idea of like okay yeah let's try this let's you know let's see what's going on let's see see what transpires when you do this i mean just in in the nature of you know so many podcasts have like sprouted up <laughs> during this pandemic some of which are just like people talking to each other on Instagram, you know, and it's like, okay, well, you know, that's congratulations. You now know how to have a conversation and record it. Uh, but there is something where I, I, I choose to look at the, the plus side of it, that it really is a weird, unprecedented time. And part of that is like, well, you can kind of do any kind of crazy idea you want and just see, see if it sticks. And what's, what's the stakes? Well, all right. Nothing. Well, guess and, what? You know, people still binged everything on Hulu and Netflix, and <laughs> anyway, I, so they got the time I, for it. I think you totally hit the nail on the head, and 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 I think that you know I'm, I'm like reading this book on the toilet because that's the only place I read, right? And it's all these like <laughs> it's all these like interviews from Rolling Stone from like the late '60s, early '70s. So it's like 
Zappa and Mick yeah. Jagger and, and Lennon and, you know, Janis Joplin, all these like cool original interviews. And, and, you know, like it's all talking about like people being uptight about like what they need to perform and all this stuff. And I think all these people are like very like, uh, you know, groundbreaking with their music and, you know, stuff like that. But I do think that the coolest thing about today with music is the coolest thing about streaming, I, I should say, is that because nobody is making money on music, nobody gives a fuck about how it needs to sound. They will be way more creative. You know, like there's nothing dictating how your band should sound or like how you or what right. you should make music, right? So I think there's there's been some really cool experimental and groundbreaking things just because like what the fuck do you got to lose right it's like, <laughs> exactly it's like the lowest stakes possible yeah <laughs> yeah which i think from an artistic point of view is kind of fantastic yeah and i think like that's that's kind of the fun thing about like i mean i always love being in a band i love being in poison control center you know those guys are my best buds or whatever but like it's it's kind of nice for me to be in a project where i i have complete control to do whatever the fuck I want. And there really isn't any stakes. I mean, like, of course, like I'm going to put money into it and like, yeah, try to make a cool record or something. But like, you know, like it's not going to matter if I, uh, you know, put 10 songs that are three minutes and 30 seconds and like, they all have to sound like they're singles or something. You know, it's like, nobody cares. Right. And, and yeah, if you're lucky, you'll get a non-distracted all the way. Listen, you know, through, you yeah. know, and, that's, and to me, that's very liberating, yeah. you know, like, cause I always think like, you know, I think in poise control center, we we're always trying to be like, or at least me being that kind of like the gang leader or the instigator was always trying to be like, well, you know, if we, if we record one more song, that could be the song that's going to like, you know, get us yeah. uh, on an opening tour. That's going to be like your that. cut your hair or your bone machine or. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, like it never is. Right. But like <laughs> but now it's like, cause both those songs kick ass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but you know, like, so now I feel like it's a very liberating time to make music or to make art in general, because like the, there is, and of course there, of course there are still people who are like, Oh, I'm gonna pay to be on this Spotify playlist, or I'm gonna, you know, like pay to, you know, you know that kind of crap. But like, and I and I get it. I I was one of those people, you know, 20 years ago who wanted wanted or 20, or 15 years ago who wanted my band so bad to like get more fans and so we could tour and da 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 da. Keep it sustainable like, at a larger level. All I ever wanted to do was like be a musician that could survive, right? And you know, like, and uh, I've done it for a time period, and now you know, like. And technically, kind of now, since, you know, like a lot of the world is jobless and a lot of the musicians are jobless, (laughs) their day jobs are gone and their shows are gone. So it's like um, this is a great time to just be creative and like uh, just hone in on on a side of you musically that you maybe wouldn't do before. Because like, who cares? Right. Right. It's awesome. It's a good time to be like weird. Yeah, and it, it's something where there there is no rule book for how to reach people. But by the same token, people are looking to have connection, more so now than a lot of times in recent history. And and that's, you know, coming from a culture that craves connection while there are these avenues and tools that that are designed 
allegedly to provide connection, but they really provide you the illusion of connection. And and the reason why is to they, they want to keep you wanting so they can advertise to you. So there's all the more it manifests differently, but there's all, it's all the more important to have something for people to latch on to uh, for whatever oh, yeah. that means. I agree. I agree completely. And I think like, you know, like now being a dad, you know, like I see it firsthand, you know, like with the, with the, just the fucking internet, you know, yeah. it's like, I can see my son being sucked into like needing this fucking Hulk toy, you know, or whatever. <laughs> And it's just like, oh shit, that shit goes on to like forty-five years old, forty-five year olds who are seeing these like political commercials. Yeah. They're like, must vote for this person because I saw it twenty times on the internet. It was on my favorite show, and I liked it. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's you'd like to think that that stuff happens less, but no, it doesn't. It's the same psychological aspects of things that, you know, keep people looking for something that they don't have, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's a weird time for that. So then, and I, I really appreciate that you've gone through all the poison control center stuff. We actually haven't talked about stranger ballet, which I feel like is that, is that band's best record. Um, as far as just as, best record in the sense of like if, if you were to throw as much as I love Sassara Future I wouldn't necessarily be like hey y'all check out this expansive opus you know like yeah yeah no. <laughs> I mean I think I mean so some people maybe I would if they were like a, a deep listener but if, you know again it, that whole thing if you're lucky if you can hook someone after you know to listen to the whole thing then it's like I think Stranger Ballet is like that's the one to introduce people yeah and I think like uh, you know I think a lot of PCC fans, that one's their favorite, uh, just because it is so like, it kind of is more like a live show. It's just like very concise and bang, 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 bang. And they were all song, you know, like, well, half of them were songs that we were already playing on tour. So we were pretty tight. But there recorded. is elements of Baroque things that you would do in Gloom Balloon too. Like you got the background singers going, like, you know, there, yeah, is, there yeah. is like, oh, you know, this bombastic presence. Yeah. And I think that was just like, I think we were just listening to a lot of Exile Main Street in the band at that time, you know, it's just like, (laughs) we recorded that record in Chicago. And so like one morning I was just like at a coffee shop and I was just like, fuck it as a surprise, I'm going to try to find like a a gospel singer to just come and rip. And so whatever I get on, you know, like the internet and people, if you go on the internet, you can find anything, right? (laughs) People will do it if you pay for it. People will do anything if you pay for it. So I found some like, whatever, quote unquote, professional singers, and and wrote this woman. I was just like, hey, uh, we're a band from Iowa. We're in Chicago this week recording. We'd love to have some uh, background singers. You know, like this is our budget, but you know, like you know what, da da da. She Mona Perkins wrote back. And so then we were kind of freaking out. And so like, we, we got to get these songs done. So Mona can, you know, and so everybody got uh, one song of theirs that she could sing on. Right. That was the rule. And then I got two because I made the connection. <laughs> so, Privileges of membership. <laughs> and we had no idea that you know, like, we ne- had never heard this woman sing. Right. And yeah. so like first song that she was doing, I can't remember what it was, but like I was out in the, like in the, in the live room, like kind of coaching her. And so we had bought all these like chips and carrots and, you know, yeah. like stuff to be like hospitable. Guests. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, hospitable to our guests. And so like her boyfriend or husband or whoever it was was with her bodyguard. I don't know. Uh, but so he's in the control room and I'm trying to like, you know, explain to her like what we're going for. And like, they can hear it over the microphone. Right. And so all of a sudden, you know, like the, the talk back is coming back into us and the earphones. And she's like, I can hear you guys eating chips in there. You know, yes, <laughs> and so anyway, I'm trying to explain to her how I want to sing. And then finally over the intercom, her like boyfriend or whatever goes, Hey Mona, they want you to go to church. Nice. And then she's like, okay, I get it. And then this like, boom, you know, like she's yeah. just like, yeah, you know, like, and so like, then we're like, okay, here we go. You know, like, and it was just incredible. You know, it was like, you know, that was kind of the first time we had like, you know, somebody. And she, of course, like, she was scared, you know, like she had only ever been in a recording studio once before and it was for like her church choir, right. you know, like so. Different, like, different experience, it, yeah. It was new to her too, but she just like, you know, just like killed it. And like, you know, like that, that you are correct that of, of that kind of style of like, you know, like that female background singer of like Rolling Stones, uh, Exile Main Street, or like even, you know, I've never done this before in my life where I would co like compare something to like uh, uh, Leonard Skinner, but you know, like the background singers on Sweet Home Alabama yeah. are just incredible. You know, like they're the ones who are singing the hook, like Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah. Not just like, you know what, like it's like PCC can't really have soul because we're a bunch of blue eyed, blonde <laughs> white boys from Iowa. <laughs> right, from the far yeah. <laughs> You know, like it's like sometimes you need to dig to get that like that stuff that makes people feel right and so like i really i really connect to that style of i mean i just love like soul music and yeah. memphis soul and like you know that kind of vibe and like so like that was like very instrumental to me like i want to make like pcc a lot of it kind of be like a call and response like these are like characters in a thing and like this this or this womanly voice this soulful voice is like the voice in my head or something or like the narrator of this story or or like the the love interest or something and, and luckily here in in Des Moines we have this woman named Tina Haas Finley who's like an Iowa Jazz Hall of Famer but also does like these crazy weird jazzified shows so she'll be like Prince jazzified and so like at the jazz club she'll like take jazz music and melodies and then like do like Prince lyrics over them. So she'll be playing like, I, I don't know, you know, like they'll be doing like uh, somewhere over the rainbow, the music, you know, like jazz band. And she'll be like, uh, uh, purple rain, purple rain, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. A, what, putting like, like a different of the rainbow. Of it. Yeah. yeah. And, and just like, and just like mind blowing stuff. She does like a, like a Stevie Nicks jazzified, you know, and it's just like, I'm like, what in the hell? You know, like these, it's yeah. just so cool what she can do. And her voice is just incredible, you know, like, and she just like kills it every time. And so, um, so she's on the last two gloom balloon records. And I just like, you know, I tell her, I'm like, I'm like, I want you to be the star. I just want you to like be, and of course, like I, all I'm doing is like producing, right. I'm just like, all right. Uh, how about you try it like this? And then she'll do it. And then she'll be like, well, I could try it like this. And I'm like, okay, try that. And then like, okay, that's perfect. Let's record four of them, right? Here we go. Boom, boom. You know, yeah, like, you're okay, you want to do adopting like a Jeff Lynn kind of role or something to it. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you want to do another octave? Let's do another octave. Yeah, Let's, like, yeah. you know, like, that's, of course, the great thing about like 
digital recording is that it can be done so fast and like so easy to like if you want if you want it to sound like you got a whole gospel choir you can do that in like 10 minutes with a great singer yeah right you know what i mean like like you could just like it's like all right let's do another one well, and that's, another that's one. the kind of thing that like as amazing as it is like it'll definitely make put you in your place as far as uh how you feel your own vocals oh <laughs> you yeah know, you're like oh i'm like i'm a dude who sings and this is a singer yeah <laughs> well and that's the thing like i had like talked to to christopher and logan the guy who uh co-produces the gloom balloon and engineers the stuff at the studio and you know i was just like i i think i want to make a whole record write the songs and produce it but have tina sing like be the lead singer like be the be, be the voice and and both of them were just like dude like that wouldn't be gloom blue and that would just be like you know like and i was like no it would be because it's like me it's my songs and it's like it's just like i just you know, like every time I write a song, I hear Paul McCartney singing it in my head, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you get you're, in front you're not of envisioning a, your own voice usually. Yeah, it's like you get in front of a microphone, and you're like, "Oh shit, yep, still me." Yeah. You know, like it's like I got I got a fucking hit here, and it's like, yeah. no, it's still me. So, but you know what? I think it actually, um, you know, like the thing I said about you opening for Tropical. Buckstorm, it's like it's like an opening band can make uh, the the headlining band better just by playing good, and so yeah. like I think like I've become a better singer just by uh, just by having her also singing or knowing I'm going to sing with her, and she's just like you know it's you just work like a little harder almost. Yeah, yeah, or or yeah, like you know vocals because I know my ability have always been like the thing that stresses me out the most and like that I'm just like, you know, whatever it is, what it is now, you know, like I'm, I've had this voice now for 40 years. Like this is it. (laughs) So, but I actually do think I've gotten better, you know, like over the past, you know, 10 years. Well, and and there's definitely, there's a through line through all of it that you can kind of see the aspects of of things that, that you're trying to bring out. And, um, you know, you know. I think there's there's kind of a a younger musician's thing, and let's be clear, it's it's more of a young man's thing to kind of make it to push it. You know, because yep. it's like, oh, it'll sound more intense if I if I push it. Oh yeah, and um, it doesn't. You well, know. and I think like you know, <laughs> when you're in a loud rock and roll band, you can't fucking hear yourself singing. Yeah, anyway. Exactly, it's, 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 you're just trying to get the volume, trying to get get over right. You know, like our our always thing that we would say, you know, to sound guys is like, oh, monitors are for computers because, you know, like we're not going to ever hear it anyway. You know, it's like, <laughs> but also like um, one time, you know, like we played a show, PCC did and, and whatever the sound guy after the show is like, well, I hope you guys weren't uh, trying to get any real point across with your lyrics because nobody fucking heard a thing. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, thank you, sound guy. Thanks yeah, for letting yeah. me Thanks, Hansload, yeah. Like, I hope we weren't saying anything groundbreaking because nobody heard it. <laughs> so. Ah, uh, the sage advice of the surly sound man. Yeah. But I also think, like, uh, there's a guy, uh, there's a band called House Large Sizes from Iowa. You'd really probably dig them. They, like, opened for, like, Frank Black. They were on, like, a major label in the. Yeah, I, I, the, I recognize the name. Yeah, in the in the early '90s and stuff, and they're from Iowa. And Dave and his wife Barb, they own a club in Cedar Falls, which is a fantastic little rock and roll club, great bar, one of my favorite bars in Iowa. Anyway, he 
uh, one time uh, a band of mine opened for them at the M shop and they did like, you know, just an epic sound check and they were just so fucking loud, just so good. You know, like they were kind of like the uh, ACDC and the Pixies kind of combined, you know, because they had, <laughs> because they had, a, they had like Barb was the bass player and she sang, you know, so it had kind of like that Kim deal little yeah, yeah, pretty yeah, yeah. over that early, like, just like, <laughs> you know, guitar or whatever. Um, anyway, they're so good. So good. But they were so loud and stuff. And like, I was like talking to Dave because, you know, like he was like running sound for a gloom gloom show at his bar. Right. You know? And, and I was just like telling him this story. I was like, I remember you guys just being so loud and, you know, like, and, you know, it's just like, like there was nothing the sound guy could do about it because you were so loud on stage in this little room, you know, that held like 250 people, you know, whatever. And he's just like, you know what I learned, you know, from years of touring, it's just like, you got to let the band do what they do. And if that means they're playing loud, then you just, that's what they want to do. So let them play loud and maybe you can get their vocals to come through. Hopefully you can, but like, don't tell a band, you know, the worst thing is to tell a band like, Hey man, can you turn the treble down on your guitar amp? Or yeah, like, can you yeah, right. down? And it's just like right then and there, you're just like, Oh, I'm all excited to play their show. And now my fucking. It changes the entire mood of, of the thing. You're my doing. ego is now Humpty Dumpty and I've just fallen off the wall <laughs> because right. I worked so hard to get this twin reverb amp. And now you're telling me to put it on two instead of three. Yeah. Oh, you know, like, so it just kind of deflates you. Uh, so I think that's always been like sage advice from a, a true rock and roller. It's just like, let the band do what they do. So, yeah, well, I wish more people follow that advice. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, I'll go ahead. Uh, I, I was just going to say, so was there a concerted effort with stranger ballet? Was it just like, those were the songs that like when that record came out, that was just the songs that you were writing then it was more like kind of like, you know, raucous stuff or was there like a, Hey, let's make a more, focused rock I think, I think a lot of it was uh due to our drummer Dave yeah, you know like who's a badass and a, and a great rock drummer too yeah he it was more of like a just like a a little more punk rock and and straightforward like let's roll drummer than Don who is a little more um uh, uh swingy jazzy of uh, experimentally kind of drummer of and so I think the songs like uh, because Dave was our drummer on that tour, we just kind of became this like of uh, punk band that we always kind of you know thought we were or something or wanted to be on on stage. And then Dave kind of made us that because that's kind of more of his background, I think. Of uh, and so I think that's that was you know like I think if you've got a great drummer in your band, they kind of can dictate how you play. And uh, you know I don't think Dave would have it would have come off great trying to do a bunch of, you know, shuffles or something, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. 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 It would have been playing yeah. to your strengths necessarily. Yeah. yeah. And so like, and I think like, since we were, you know, we felt so comfortable just like banging out bar chords and feeling like you were saying the who or something like, uh, you know, on that, in that record, it was really interesting how we recorded that because um, we recorded it in, it's, you know, it's a fairly sizable room but like we recorded everything into DI boxes. And so we could oh, all be in the same. Okay. So the drums were live in the room. And so you're hearing that, but so all the guitars were going through DI, which I love that sound. I love a guitar through DI, but then we reamped everything, all oh, the guitars. Oh, okay. Huh. Uh, Interesting. Okay. So 
I mean, not, not the smartest for time consuming, but because the room wasn't that conducive to us turning up our amps and letting her rip, we wanted a really good drum sound, you know, like we'd never like recording with Pat Stoller, like I said before, he's just like dig sound. So it's just like, let's just put up some mics on the drums and let's, let's, let's go. And so we really wanted like maybe even a more modern sounding rock and roll drum sound, you know, like bigger drums, uh, because Dave was that kind of drummer where that would come off well. Uh, and I think because we'd been playing on stage for at that point, like a hundred and some shows, like we were so into just, yeah, you were like a touring Here, machine at that point, you know. Yeah, yeah hearing a kick drum and a snare drum hit you in the face, right? You know, like so you wanna you wanna play like that. And so we wanted the drums to just be and so that was the idea of to like record it all, you know, which is a very strange thing to do of through but it's not, you know, like when you hit a hit a distortion pedal in, uh, through a DI, I love that sound because it sounds like you're recording on a four track or something, right? Yeah, it, it's almost like um well, what is it? Uh, uh, that one Nirvana song uh, that he just—it's it's like DS one into the board, and it's like such a weird, like it's a crazy, it's cool, but it's such a crazy, yeah. like unearthly set of like weird distortion. Yeah, yeah, it's like this weird, like compressed, crunchy thing that you can. It, it's so weird to describe, but a lot of the a lot of my favorite records are recorded on four tracks, and like and a lot of like those are early Guided by Voices records. It's like, God, how did they get that guitar sound? It's like, well, they're direct into a four track right Slam and like the head basically yeah turn up the game you know like <laughs> but it sounds cool right it makes a riff to be like oh fuck and there's like, what pedals are you using oh there's no pedal there's no amp <laughs> and he's like hardly doing anything he's hardly doing a lick but you're just like whoa that is so cool just yeah. because like and that's the magic of a recording studio right it's or like your mind track. almost fills in the blanks of uh you know something else and makes it sound bigger than it is yeah, exactly. And so I think like that was kind of like a cool thing about that record is that we tried that and I feel like it worked. And of course, we went to like a nice studio to mix it, like AJ Mogus of at ARC in Omaha, of who's Mike Mogus's brother, who's like the Bright Eyes guy. Uh, he mixed it and we only had like three days to mix it. And he just did, uh, you know, he took what we recorded in the four days and 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 made it sound cool or whatever so yeah so then poison control center was hitting it hard playing insane amount of shows and then everyone you know life is gonna happen like there has to be room for like life to happen people like self-destructed yeah so (laughs) i mean i I remember i think i took joe terry aside at one point it was like you guys are gonna burn out like you guys are gonna burn out if you don't like you know, slow down just a little bit. You don't have to like stop, but you got to slow down a little bit. It's going to, it's well, gonna... it is better to burn out than to fade away. Right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how the song goes. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, was that something that kind of came all at once? Was it sort of like, nobody wanted to admit like, you know, like we had, been, we had been a band for 10 years and we had, uh, uh, toured quite a bit. You know, we do lots of, you know, being from Des Moines, it's great. You can, you can Centrally go to Chicago. Located, yeah. You can go to Minneapolis, you can go to Omaha, you can go to Kansas City. There's tons of great little college towns to play around. Uh, And we were from a college town. We were from Ames, Iowa. So, like, we got that. Like, go play college town. There's people who want to hear music or whatever. Uh, So we'd we'd done lots of shows in those 10 years, and we'd done tours that were up to five weeks long, three to five weeks. You know, every summer it would seem like in August we would, like, all right, we're going to go on a three-week tour. Like, you know, like – but, you know, like, we had never been, like, okay, like, come on, let's just take a year and do it. And just go. And yeah. Like, yeah. And, like, that's why Don couldn't do it. You know, like, he had, like, 
got a job and he's like, you know, smart dude. He's just like, dude, I can't, I can't do it for you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, it's, it's a big commitment. I yeah, I can hardly handle a weekend with you fuck nuts. You know, like, how am I going to do it for a year? Um, so, so, but like we agreed it. We were just like, let's put out a record. Let's, let's hit it hard for a year and let, you know, let's try to get another record out in the year. Like see what we can do in a year. Right. And I, I really feel like we were just like, just getting going, you know, like by the end of it, you know, like, you know, like the last 60 shows or something were supporting stranger ballet. And I feel like those were, we had built up audiences in places that like, you know, like first time we played mobile, Alabama, you know, like there was six people there and three of them were the bar staff. And then, you know, like, but then they tell other people and they bring people out. Yeah. And, that's the way and then like, work, yeah. and, and, and we were nice to the bar staff and the three other people that were there. And they're just like, dude, you guys were fucking. And we played like it was the last night of our lives. Right. You know, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, then they're like, Hey, you guys got to come play the Mardi Gras show. You know, like, you know, like, you know, so it's like, okay. Then we're like playing the Mardi Gras show to like 300 people, you know, like, uh, so, I mean, it was growing, you know, it was like, definitely like, and we were getting really good press, you know, like both of the, both sad sour future and, and stranger ballet record, you know, like reviewed on pitchfork and like AV club gave us an A minus for stranger ballet. And like, you know, so like things were, you know, I felt like just kicking into gear, but also I'm the type of person in the 10 years that we weren't touring all the time. I always just kept the shittiest jobs because I know I was like, well, we're going to go on tour this summer. So yeah, I don't want to be able to ditch it a moment's notice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to think about my own personal life and my well being of my significant other or, or like my future whatsoever. I want to be able to drop everything and go on tour. Uh, Cause that was my mindset, um, which was, which looking back on it was an okay mindset, you know, that's fine. Uh, so it was very, uh, it was a very big deal to get to do that year, I think. And I think like, I really, I really respect, uh, you know, Joe and Devin and Dave and even Don for not going on it to, to being like, we're going to stick to it. We're going to stick to this year. Like I'm going to go back and I'm going to, uh, get married or I'm going to go back and I'm going to get my doctorate or, you know, like I'm going to go to move to New York and get a job, you know, like that kind of yeah. thing. So it's like, I really respect, uh, them, but you know, like in all honesty, like, it, it broke my heart and, and uh made me very depressed because i was like you know like you know how it is like if if you're playing shows every night and i mean that's where you get your uh uh your mojo like it's like driving to a town getting into town setting up playing your 45 minutes playing your fucking heart out and and meeting great people along the way cool friends and and doing it with your best buds like that's pretty hard to complain about that and, and there's a rhythm to it and it's it, and especially when it's when it's working and what's all hitting like the way that it's supposed to you know it, it's that's that's nice and it's it, yeah. it, there's a comfort to it that makes you kind of maybe downplay other elements of it that you maybe are missing yeah. out of on life yeah it's pretty special like there's a great uh uh the end of that tour, we picked up a guy who was on our record label named Dollfish. His name's Max, Max Solish, who I ended up producing one of his records, which is really fantastic, called uh, I'd Rather Disappear Than Stay the Same. It's a really good record. Anyway, uh, 
he came, he was, uh, you know, did like the last 20 some or 30 some dates with us. And he was just great. Fantastic singer songwriter, but he continued to tour pretty regularly the next couple of years. And his dad wrote an essay in the New York times hmm. that I thought was fantastic about his son touring at the age of like 25 and, you know, like not making it, not making much money, but you know, like he's touring, he's traveling. And so the whole, the whole thing, the way, and his dad's like, you know, like a rich dude with a fancy house. I'm like, cause, cause we, trust me, we stayed there and ate dinner uh, <laughs> while we we're on tour. Took full advantage of that back. Sure. Yeah. That wonderful back and those great IPAs in his fridge. Uh, but anyway, no, the dad was like, right though. He was like, he wrote this whole essay on how like most people, you know, like uh, when they retire, they get to do like, they want to do their dreams. They want to travel. They want to, they want to like do the things that interest them. And he's like, he's like, but my son is doing it in his prime. He's doing it at 25. All Solomon wants to do is travel and, and play music. And he's getting to do it at 25. Like yeah. he is the smart one. I'm the one who's like 65 years old and about to retire. But like I've wasted all my great years trying to get ahead in the business world and da, 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 da. And my son is like doing what I want to do in his prime, you know? So I thought that was like very, uh, and of course I sent it to my parents because of course they're always been like worried, like, Oh boy, is Patrick going to, is he going to be able to eat? Yeah. 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 They're worried. I know he's going to get into a car crash at three in the morning after driving from some club to a a town that's four hours away. You know, like I know that's going to, you know, like they're, you know, how parents are, which is nice that they give a shit. Uh, they don't give a shit about listening to the music or anything. No, or, no, no. But what they, they care about you. They don't want me to die. The best for you, and they don't want you to die. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I think that there's something to be said about that. And so, like, uh, I'm really happy that PCC got to do that. And I think that, like, like you know, like you toured, and and it's, it's not easy. You know, it's not for like. And it's like it's a choice it's like too. It, it's a choice, and there yeah. are sacrifices. And and it's yeah, to it's look like, at it any other way is foolhardy. Yeah. It's like Robbie Robertson, you know, says in the last waltz, you know, it's like, it's like, I, you know, I did it for 16 years. I can't imagine what, you know, another five years would do to me or whatever, you know? And of course a couple members of that band, you know, pretty much either drank themselves or drugged themselves to death or hung themselves, you know? So, I mean, it's not like, it's not for the faint of heart of, or the faint of ego, because like, you know, like you get up on experience. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, my friend Alexis Gideon, who is also a touring musician, we, you know, uh, you know, that's the thing about touring. You know, like I would never have met you or, or Alexis or, you know, like if people weren't touring and sharing their art and like, you know, like we played in Portland and we were playing in this theater and they gave us like a thousand dollars or something. I don't know how or why we got that, but like, and there's like 15 or 20 people there. Right. You know? Yeah. And so we just feel like shit the whole night, you know, cause we're going to have to like, Oh, we have this guarantee you know, or whatever. And Alexis is there and he's just like, He's like, well, how's it going? And I was like, well, you know, like it's it's growing. I feel like it's growing and growing. And he goes, and he goes to me, it gets real goddamn addicting playing to 10 people every night, doesn't it? <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, it does. And then he goes, because you know, tomorrow there might be 15 people there. You know? And I was just like, yeah, you're right. Because like when you're coming into a town, you know, like sometimes you can be like, Oh, I know tonight might be pretty quiet or, you know, yeah, like yeah. whatever, you know, like, and we always used to guess in the band, like how many people, you know, like yeah. what was going to be the crowd? The over under, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
to put it to put it in perspective on that tour, you know, like we played a, a house show in Cedar Falls, Iowa, on September tenth, two thousand ten. This is ten years ago. A house show to probably about twenty five or thirty people. Right? Great, great house show, great fun. The next night we opened for Pavement at a theater to 2,400 people. The next night we're back at a DIY space in Columbia, Missouri to 15 people, right? You know, so it's just like, it ebbs and flows and like it does get the goddamn addicting playing to 10 people every night because you know there could be 12 tomorrow. You know, like it's well, that's great. If you, look, if you have that attitude about it, it's great. It's fucking awesome. I mean, that, you know, the Tropical Fuckstorm show that we played support on that that you mentioned in Chicago, you know, that was like a sellout crowd of the empty bottle. And, you know, the night before we played Madison and it was like, oh, yeah, there's like like 20 people here. Right on. You know, it's a small yeah. place. Feels feels bigger than it, than it is. <laughs> and you do those and you and you hone the craft to the 20. And if you play the if you play to the 20 like you were doing to the, the sold out show in Chicago, like those people are going to stick with you. And like you're going to, you're going to gain friends and fans. And, and I think that that's important. I think like, I hate it. I've worked at rock and roll clubs for years, you know, like as a bartender and or a sound guy. And it's like, if you got a band that like comes in, who's like normally used to playing to more people and there's only 20 people there and they just like act like they don't give a fuck from stage. I'm just like, fuck this. Yeah. Can't do you know, that. Like, man. It's, you got You got Like it's, I don't remember exactly who it, who it was. It may have been like Henry Rollins or something, but it was, it was like, this is the idea of like, it's not the, the people that showed up. It's not their fault that other people didn't. So don't punish yeah, them, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Don't be a dick to them from stage. Don't be like, don't be making fun of like fucking Des Moines because like, you know, yeah. whatever, you know, but, but, but the bands that like, there's eight people there and they fucking, show up and rip you know like i can remember i was bartending once and bobby bear jr's band was playing in des moines and now bobby bear jr is in guided by voices and of course bobby bear jr is the son of bobby bear who is a very famous country musician so like this guy's lived the fucking life right yeah there was like 10 8 or 10 people at this show right in right. des moines but they fucking got up there and they fucking the band of course the band was like incredible you know like they got a pedal steel player that's like just blowing my mind and they're just like and they're having a great time. They're just like fucking loving it with the eight people that are there. They're making everybody feel uh, connected and at home and just ripping. And it's just like, you know, as a bartender and a music fan for that show, I was just like, God, this is just so great. I'm just having so much fun. Yeah. I know I'm not going to make any money. I know they're not going to make any money. But I'm going to do my dandest to get them drunk after the show because they deserve you know, like that kind of thing. Totally. I mean, like I, you know, I was looking. I saw, I saw at the drive-in play to like, you know, me and like nine other people, you know, four of which were, were the Get Up Kids, and it was amazing. You know, oh, yeah, I bet they were fucking insane. I bet it was great. Was. I saw Melt Banana play to a group of like twelve people, and one of them was Mike Patton, and another one was me, and it was like it was amazing. And it was, it's one of those things that I think if you, if you are in it for a certain reason and and for getting a certain experience, I think it all works and it makes sense. And, and, you know, moments like that where you're like, oh, you know, maybe I'll go out to that. You know, you end up treasuring those like later on without even realizing like, oh, yeah, I almost didn't go to that show, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I think that's one of those things like hopefully when live music comes back, people realize, too. It's like if you got the opportunity to see a band that you really like or a band that you've never heard of and you have the choice of not going or going, go. Because I, I think bands are really going to they're really going to want to just play and, and they're going to be, you know, putting their best foot forward, hopefully when this whole shit is done, you know? Well, so, and, and, and I, 
just real quick, I, I want to kind of get into how you decided to do Gloom Balloon the way that you do Gloom Balloon. Uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, it's interesting, like, you know, the recording process and like having these more Baroque elements, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a dude. It, it's a dude like playing songs with like this accoutrement that's attached to it. So how did, was it, was it a logistical thing that like led to you thinking that, or was it just like, you know, I don't want any more schedules involved in this or. Like, well, I do think like, I do think like, uh, you know, I think in Des Moines in that time when PCC was done, there was a great rock and roll time in Des Moines, I feel like. And I was just like, man, I don't want to have to like start a new rock and roll band or like I'd rather join one of these other ones or whatever. So I was just like, what if I do something just completely different and of not not get out of my comfort zone, I guess, right. you know, like not, not hide behind my electric guitar and, and, and loudness, but I also just want to do something that's like, that could be performed at museums or something like an art piece, like make somebody like, like make it like, down almost. Yeah. But like, make it like a, a visual thing. Like there's going to be, there's going to be weird dancing. There's going to be a, a movie playing. There's going to be loud music. Some of it might sound like it's, hip hop. Some of it might sound like it's like the Bee Gees. Some of it might sound like the Moody Blue, you know, like some of it might just sound like, uh, you know, John Cage and, and, you know, like, you know, it'd be so cool to, to have the, the, the freedom to get up. And, and if I do pick up electric guitar, just to fucking hit a G chord and let it hold for like two minutes or something. And then all of a sudden, you know, hit the computer and it's like, and all of a sudden this song starts or so, you know, like, just like, just you have the freedom to kind of do whatever you want and like being being like a solo band or whatever uh and that was really rewarding for me like right off the bat now in des moines right away the like uh one of the music writers in des moines was like oh uh he he came to one of the early gloom balloon shows and he was just like if you want to see two guys because christopher the conquered chris ford played with me too in the band and he goes if you want to see two guys who are in two better bands uh walk around for a half hour uh, and take my bus and walk around for half an hour you should go see gloom blood and then he also called it ego masturbation yikes and so and i was just like and i was like isn't all music ego masturbation <laughs> <laughs> so so then i i, I like yeah, yeah. Took it, i was like oh my god i was like i was so psyched out because i offended him yeah. You know, like, it, like, and again, like, like I said before, like, that's the definition of fucking rock and roll is to offend somebody, right? So it's like, I'm feeling like goddamn fucking, uh, of fucking Little Richard, 1955 right now, you know, so like, now I'm feeling good. Uh, so then I was like, I'm gonna make it fucking weirder. Like, let's like, you know, like, and so then, of course, all over Des Moines, I posted all these posters, like, City View's least favorite new band, Ego Masturbation. <laughs> like all these like quotes directly from him. Like, you want to see a band screw around for a half hour? Da, da, da. And and so, um, yeah, I took it as like a, again, like as a thing like, oh, I'm free to kind of do whatever I want. And the only, you know, like in a band like Poise Control Center, you know, it's like, you know, like I think like, you know, if we made a record right now, Devin would probably want to make a record that's like a 12 string acoustic guitar songs. Cause you know, they, it sound like Jad fair or something. Cause that's what he's into right now or whatever. And so like, uh, and that would be great. I would love to make a record like that or, you know, something like that. But like you always have those other band men, 
bandmates in your head like oh are they gonna like this or like are they gonna be into yeah. doing this whatever and now i have the freedom to just like do whatever the fuck i want and it's fucking awesome you know or it feels good to me it feels good to have like the freedom to kind of just be like all right i just want strings on this song or like horns or i want to act like i'm in the beastie boys on this song or whatever like, <laughs> like whatever it, the it idea is, is you can kind of run with it yeah yeah any any song can take any shape which i think is really fun and it's like you just like put the puzzle pieces together and you can keep throwing puzzle pieces at it you know and and because i have that i bring in other people like it's so fun to to like just bounce ideas off other people and then they come up with an idea and like I'm the one who's like in control of it at the end of it. Right. So if I don't like it, I can just get rid of it. But like, so when I do demos now, I just, I do like the most minimal things just like me at a piano or me with an acoustic guitar and singing. And it's like, so if I'm like going to play it to the guy who I want to play bass on the record, it's like, he just has like a minimal note of what the song is, but then he comes in to like hear it. And it's like, Oh my God, this sounds completely different. And I was just like, cause he's coming out right. just cause, cause it's not, since it's not fully fleshed out, it's not fully formed. Yeah. It, it allows, contributions of the people you're involving to kind of manifest in different ways. Yeah. Which I think is fun. Cause I love uh, bouncing ideas off somebody and trying to get the best out of somebody, you know, like if you're bringing in people who you trust and like think are creative and want them to do creative things, it's like, I want them to just be like, also feel that freedom to like do whatever they want. Right. I like, I might have an idea of what I want them to do, but I'm like, but I want you to do whatever you do. And then all of a sudden it's just like, Oh my God, that's insane. You know, like that's incredible. And, and so then like, I, I, I played the cheerleader and I'm like, all right, let's pump it, you know, like pump them up and be like, oh, I can. And, and then when they feel that freedom to kind of do whatever they want, they'll, they'll go places that they maybe wouldn't have gone to before just by coming in and being like, oh, I'm just, you know, playing some B, B8 organ on this guy's record. You know, like, right. Yeah. It, it hits in a different way and you're going to get a different kind of performance, going to get get different kind of contribution. Yeah. And I want them to feel like they're a part of the band even though it's like not really a band or something you know so uh so that's been pretty fun for me as like a and i, I always feel like my my strengths are like more as like a producer uh role anyway so it's like that i get to do that kind of and shape uh, a record with sound and different people i think it's really it's really fun for me and i like and i like just like once i get what i want and then i just fucking tinker with it at home and you know, that's the problem with like re home recording and using a studio. It's like sometimes I only get four hours at the studio, like a month. And like, I'm bringing in like 40 tracks of stuff I've recorded at home. And it just like, it takes the four hours to get it uploaded. Just and get, it, get, it, get it set and up. Like, all right. All right. We got 20 minutes now. Let's, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, try let's flip that road. Let's flip that road on that I've been thinking about for a month. And I'm going to try to record this thing in 20, you know, that kind of thing. So. but that's fun that's 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 part of what you know making making records is is it's hard work but it's also really fun and you never know what it's like you can envision it all you want in your head but it's never you're never going to know what it actually is going to sound like at the end so. so yeah speaking of records uh how, how should people be consuming slash listening to your new record i mean obviously there's all the streaming things along those lines should they be buying from off the off the label should they you know yeah, i mean it's going to be available everywhere online uh for streaming of uh, grandphony.com is the record label and uh christopher the concord's also putting out a new record the same day so if you get both 
uh, that's cool. And we're given a bunch of cool extras for people who pre-order it. And we're given a dollar back to Black Lives Matter for every record we sell from Grand Phony. So that's kind of an okay thing to also uh, support. It's coming out on vinyl and CD and uh, digitally and Grand Phony. You know, it should be in, it'll be in some record stores, I know. So, um, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully when this whole uh, pandemic is over and, and our great scientists of the world have figured out a awesome uh, way to make it safe for everybody to come out, we'll, we'll do a little tour and try to play some shows too and go back, go out and see our friends, you know? It'll be much needed for sure. So, so last thing, uh, and Patrick, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a long time coming. We should have done this years ago. Uh, I'm not sure why it took so long, but we got here now, and yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate you and and uh, you welcoming Poise Control Center into our lives ten years ago, and us becoming good. Ago, Jesus, but <laughs> it was so fun. Like you know, like, people don't know this, but Conan is like just the most incredible host. He brought us the most incredible restaurant. He brought us to Amoeba in Berkeley. He found one of his uh, old band CDs <laughs> that he didn't even have or something or didn't have yeah, a copy. It, it, it was out of print, yeah. <laughs> bought it from Amoeba Records just so we could have it in the van, you know, that type of thing. Like this guy is just, he's a hes a, a, a lifelong rocker. And You also, uh, uh, there were there were two Sloan CDs and they were in the, like the, I think the dollar bin or something. And you said to me, and I'll never forget this, you said, if you buy those, and and don't like them, I will pay you the money to to compensate for that. And I was like, wow, yep. that's like that's like the secondhand money back guarantee. And I bought them. Yeah, and I, loved them, so. I should have just bought them for you though, and been like, but I do think but I no, do. No, no, it, it, it it put it, the stakes were higher because I was like, wow, this dude yeah. really likes this band. Okay. <laughs> and if you make the person. If you make, if you actually buy it, you're gonna give it a harder chance than an. If it I feel like I, I gave it a more attentive listen, probably uh, because of that. And I, and I always remember that as being like, as like that's that's a cool way to like get someone to listen to something too. Because you know what yeah. I mean? You're a touring band. Hey, I didn't like it. Give me two dollars. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if a Sloan CD is used in a record store, everybody, if you <laughs> if you buy it and you don't like it. Uh, P.O. Box 425 <laughs> I will, I will send you <laughs> PayPal PayPal a, a money order to yeah um, but no I really appreciate being here and thank you and congratulations on this podcast oh my god what a what a uh, a plethora of legends and people I didn't know and uh, you know I'm a fan of this podcast so I say keep it rolling and it's something for, to keep you busy while you're not rocking and rolling on stages. So. Keep me sane. <laughs> and congrats on the new record. I'm excited to listen to it tomorrow. Thanks, man. And and uh, I'm not going to let you get away without asking you, why do you do what you do? Because I always ask folks that, and I feel like you're going to have a good answer here. Uh, well, I I think it's it's just in me. You know, four, four years ago when I had my son, I didn't think I was going to be making uh, much music anymore. But I'll... I'll I want to do is show my son now what I'm into. You know, I think that's the great thing about being a parent is you get to re-experience all the things that you're into. So he's like already gone through a Beatles phase. He's already gone through like a baseball phase. Like he's, he, he was, he would, he would only fall asleep as a little kid to like live concert from Rolling Stones, you know, like, so it's just fun to like 
show the kid what you love, right? And so like and sure. I gotta I, and offer him money I gotta, back guarantee if he doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah. I gotta make sure that uh he knows that daddy loves making music and to show him that I want him to be a part of it if he wants to. And he's on the new record, you know, on a couple songs and, and I played them for him in the car and he's just like, that's me. You know, like he, it's, 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 it's like the magic thing. Like the first time you ever heard yourself on a college radio station, you're like, that's me. It's, it's, it's pretty special. It's pretty magical. Well, you brought a lot of magic into the world, and I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to listening to the new record, and uh, thanks so much for being on the show, Patrick. It's been great. Dude, the best. Love you. Thank you. Take care, brother. All right. Oh, all right. There he goes. And let's listen to some Gloom Balloon. All my feelings for you.
Will you play along with me? I, I said I once had played symphony In the magic circle symphony Would you play along with me? And I, can see blood dripping from your fingers We could use some more singers To help sing along can taste you dripping from your eyelids Please let all the kids help sing along to our song Our song goes love Love is the answer Until you get cancer Then you're lying, dying, dead Oh, please sing what I just said, love Love is the answer Until you get cancer Then you're lying, dying, dead Oh, please sing what I just said, love Love is the answer Until you get cancer then you're lying, dying, dead Oh, please say what I just said, love Love is the answer Until you get cancer Then you're lying, dying, dead Oh, please say what I just said Circle Symphony by Poison Control Center. Before that, we had Thousand Colors, also by Poison Control Center. Before that, a song off of the new Gloom Balloon record, which you should, can, should, could, you can, what is wrong with me? Can, should, and would check out grandphony.com. Uh, you know, also in all the normal places that you would think that there would be a record in the year 2020, which is what this year is. Wasn't that great? That's your tip on what a, what, a, what, a, what a cool dude. Love that guy. Name of the show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. This show airs on Radio Nope. Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. Podcasted everywhere. As we 
ProtonicReversal.com for the archives. Want to get episodes sooner? One dollar a month will get you there. Patreon.com slash ProtonicReversal. Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Thanks for sharing the episodes around. Anyone within the sound of my voice. Let everyone know about it. Subscribe. If you listen regularly, it helps people find the show. You know, all that good stuff. I've got 50,000 watts of power. You can find Gloom Balloon. Ionize the air. On Bandcamp, gloombaloon.bandcamp.com, groundphony.com, as we mentioned before, Poison Control Center, you can still find all that stuff. Poisoncontrolcenter.bandcamp.com. Turns sound into electricity. Anything else? No. Can you hear me now? Stay safe out there. Out on Route 128, in the dark and lonely. Take it easy. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the... It's the end of radio! The last announcer plays the last record! The last what? Leaves the transmitter! Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now?
really broadcasting if there's no one there to receive? Got my radio. Can you hear me now? This is a real goddamn emergency! 